Hello and welcome to episode 168 of the Brand Nintendo Podcast. I'm Jason. And I'm Angel. And we're calling this episode Thinking Outside the Box as a nod to Nintendo's big cardboard bombshell earlier this week that was uh, Nintendo Labo. And we've also got all the Switch news from the previous Nintendo Direct. Uh, we got the separate announcement of Detective Pikachu on 3DS. We have a look at how Nintendo did December from a sales perspective. It's a very uh, news-heavy episode. And normally at this point in the intro, I go into sort of an autopilot and I'm like, hey, if you you know, if you know want to hear more about specific topics or games of interest, go ramtown.com to the blog post for this episode. We have timestamps there, et cetera, et cetera. But this time I really mean it because there is a lot of news these past couple mm-hmm. weeks. I've said it 167 times but, before. But this time it's sincere. <laughs> no, but seriously, like there's – typically we just get a direct or we just get an announcement. But we have both of those. Actually, three if you count Detective Pikachu as a separate announcement in and of itself. And, uh, yeah, so there's a lot of games to talk about, a lot of things to get through. So there are timestamps for that that you may actually legitimately really use this time. I don't know. But by far the biggest thing Nintendo announced uh, was Nintendo Labo. It's quite possibly the craziest thing Nintendo's done since the Wii Remote. And, uh, yeah, I guess we should start there. Like, for anyone who's listening who somehow missed the Labo news, first of all... How are you even a Nintendo fan? It was literally inescapable this past week. It was everywhere. And secondly, we can explain it to you real quick. So um, think of Labo as like a kind of a DIY model set combined with video games. You buy a kit. It's comprised of sheets of modular cardboard, cutouts, and strings, and rubber bands, and all these other things. And you construct these objects out of those things using provide instructions. And then you insert parts of the Switch into these things, be it the Joy-Con or the tablet itself... And then you suddenly have these fully interactive game controllers made of cardboard that are in all sorts of weird and wacky shapes. So on the surface, it sounds relatively simple and kind of silly. But when you watch the video, man, does it look silly? Look silly, but also kind of cool. Like it's I, I don't know. I think it's just it's neat. Like Nintendo's claiming this thing's clearly aimed at kids and kids at heart is how they put it. But I'm kind of surprised. Like some of them actually look pretty complex. Like it, it's pretty conceptually very very cool i mean what what did you think of it that is just very interesting like it's definitely out of left field yeah like i don't know especially the part where towards the end like not only do they show you how to build a step-by-step on the tablet but i mm-hmm. love how like later they're like oh look at the insides look at all the wiring well not wiring but the pulley system yeah the pulley with, yeah, with the rubber bands yeah. and the other pieces of cardboard like it's very edutainment. edutainment yeah, it, it's quality. very like it's very targeting the whole like mindset of like oh let's make STEM things for kids getting yeah. in, involved in those fields. I mean, you know, Nintendo's version of like Mind Swarm and or like even kind of a kid friendly Raspberry Pi in some ways because you can code the stuff yourself. Like it's not just what comes pre programmed. You can actually, from my understanding, trigger any one aspect of the Joy Con and build your own cardboard things with that. So you be... can because that was what I wasn't really sure of. Like I if it, so. if it was like all right here is. The the piano kit. All it right. does is build the piano and program the specific function that we gave you as opposed no, it to seems... something like the Mindstorm where you can literally create your own. It seems like you can do whatever you want with the cardboard and then you can have the Joy-Cons trigger whatever things they need to trigger, rumble, mm-hmm. IR, whatever. Sense. I mean, at the end of the day, they're literally just on-off switches and I guess if you yeah. figure out a different combination, then I guess there's no reason you can't do that. Exactly. And and so so what they've announced like officially so far, careful with your wire there, yeah. what they announced officially so far is a set of individual constructions that they have dubbed, they're all going to be called this, uh, Toy Cons, which is clever. Um, and some are more simple, some are more complex. You kind of seem to have jumped to the most complex. You talk about the pulleys and the, and the robot and the piano and all that. But honestly, for me, one of the ones that caught my eye is really simple. The it's, little dude? No. The, well, that was see, that's an example of make whatever you want. He's not actually a thing. That was literally just a... It's just a dude it's attached like a, to a It's like a stick figure cardboard man 
with a yeah. Joy-Con under the back and he just falls and over. And he falls over. To prove, you know, trial and error, you make your own thing, you learn from it. So. That vibrations will spread its legs and cause it to fall over. Yeah, exactly. Also, um, <laughs> weird out of context. I know, I didn't really think, well. But just, just say it. But no, well, well, I, I was going to talk about how vibrations move the RC car, but we'll keep the legs bearing to you. But anyway, um, the, yeah, so, so one thing, one of the ones that actually kind of I thought was coolest was the RC car, which is, Really, the simplest. Like, there's there's hands-on reports from the Guardian, from the Telegraph, from from the Verge. We link to all of them on the blog post if you want to read them in depth. But I kind of cherry picked information out of them for the sake of this conversation. And one of the things I saw in there was it only takes 15 minutes to build the RC car, and it's barely a car in any sense of the word. It has little legs, not wheels. But what I find kind of cool about it is that it uses the HD rumble, kind of like we're discussing with your man and his leg spreading, to um, essentially move forward on its own. So you have the Switch tablet with a button for the – you just got a text, my friend. You, have, uh, you have um, the Switch tablet with like a button for the left Joy-Con and the right Joy-Con, and you just press them in whatever order to make the car go left, go right, go straight, and it just kind of controls itself. It's, it's a really neat concept, and uh, again, it's very simple. It takes 15 minutes to build. But then you get to the more complex ones like the robot and the piano, and I think the robot I, – I don't know. The robot's definitely the biggest Toy-Con. It seems to have a lot of parts that work in tandem with one another, uh, which is likely why it's sold for $80 as its own kit with the more elaborate robot game, which, let's be honest, that's just the final form of Project Giant Robot. We use Project Giant Robots now, a cardboard thing where you just kind of don't use a gamepad, and you are the robot. But it's also weird, like, if you look at the photos of that kid with, like, the headset and everything, it's very weird. It's like VR if it was filtered through, like, 70s model kits or something, like, 1970s model kits. It's really, like, retro but not. Like, you wear the silly headband, and it looks kind of like a Google Cardboard, but it doesn't actually hold any screen in it. The tablet's not in there. Instead, it just limits your field of vision, so when you look ahead at the TV where the switch is docked, that's where the game's unfolding. It's not unfolding in front of your face. Yeah, it's on the TV. You see a third-person view you, of yourself destroying buildings. Which is weird because that's like anti-VR. But yet you look like you're in VR physically if VR was made by a five-year-old in cardboard. But – so you have that and then the actual action – I drop, hope it has a, a first-person view. I imagine it must. Although I don't know because there's a part where you like transform into a car. So how would that work in first person? I guess it could work in first I mean person. have you ever played a racing game where it's from first person like Grand Theft Clearly Arizona? I have not. <laughs> Clearly I have not. <laughs> no, um, <laughs> Yeah, I guess you could. I'm just picturing, like, up until this point, they've never done, like, first person First person vehicle. driving what? No, I'm thinking, like, I'm thinking more, like, if you're in a... I guess your view would drop to the ground, because I'm like, how would you know you yeah. became a car? I but mean, you go faster pretty much it. Yeah. yeah. Well, anyway. It'd be like you're driving. Yeah, I guess so. I don't know what first person driving's like. I'm always out of body when I'm driving. But, uh, yeah, no, the, the actual controls are kind of weird, because you have... It's like pulleys. You don't even use the Joy-Cons as you're punching. Instead, the Joy-Cons go in this giant backpack made of cardboard, and then you have these strings that you hold in your hand with these little cardboard pegs, and when you pull the str- when you punch forward, the string obviously pulls, and then it triggers a pulley in the back, which signals to the Joy-Con what to do. Meanwhile, you have two separate pegs on your feet with separate strings, and those, when they get pulled, indicate you're walking forward or whatever, and then the robot moves forward. And now on top of all that, the thing's smart enough to know that when you scrunch your body down, you should go all Autobot on them and go into a car, basically, and then you transform into a car and drive around. Like, it's really elaborate for cardboard. Yeah. Like, it's insane. Like, to your point about, like, like when they open the back, you see all the pulleys? It's nuts. It's impressive. Definitely something that would inspire a kid to maybe go into engineering. Oh, totally. Yeah. 
Show them some of the red age. Yeah, I, I agree. And get them some of that Nintendo tape and Nintendo Sharpies. Yeah, it's only ten dollars for the customization kit. Yeah, yeah, you can really go crazy with it, or even just you know use any other brand of Sharpie or any tape from any store. <laughs> That's the kind of nice thing is it's not like it's a locked in ecosystem with this stuff. Like kids can really go wild with it. Yeah, or the cardboard itself. I mean, I guess in theory you could build it from anything. So there, yeah, there are mixed reports that Nintendo will put the templates for these online for free. Because what Google does is you can buy Google Google cardboard for fifteen bucks. Or you can just make your own Google Cardboard and they have instructions on how to do it. And there's rumors, because obviously Cardboard's not permanent. When you say Google Cardboard... Do you not know what I'm talking about? The head, so Google made a VR headset that you put your phone into and it's literally just made a Cardboard. It's okay. a Cardboard box. And they're calling that Google Cardboard. Yes, that's okay. literally its name. Yeah. All right. I, I just yeah. pictured like Google branded cardboard. Like no, quite literally, it like, is. like and, and, it's literally Google branded cardboard. Oh yeah, I know it's just cardboard, but the way it made it sounds like yeah. oh, you could get drones like sheets of cardboard, but they're Google cardboard. Let me show you how to make it. You but of to... course, you see, of course, and then Apple having to be Apple, theirs is that like white glossy paper instead. No, they don't have one. But uh, yeah, it's it's kind of what Google was starting to say is Google does this thing where um, you can either buy their cardboard pre made for fifteen or do it yourself, and I imagine. Since cardboard isn't permanent, Nintendo will probably be like, hey, you got, you know, X number of sheets with your kit. If you need more, you can buy replacements from us that are pre-cut, pre-stamped, you know, ready to be punched down and done. Or you can just make your own if you want. Here's the template. Like, I imagine that's what they're doing. There's mixed reports on that if that's what they're actually doing, but it would make sense. But the most impressive one of all these toy cons we've talked about. It's the bird. Okay, yeah, the bird actually. Can we talk about the bird? What game would need that? So know. in the video, for those who somehow missed it, there is just a bird, and all you do is squeeze its back, and its mouth, like its it's front like of its body goes up and down. Yeah, it's like it's flapping. Uh, the only thing I could imagine is that you'll have a bird on your screen, like, flying towards the horizon, and the more you shake it, the higher it'll go, and the less you shake it, the... I swear, if this is what they do with the new pilot wings, if this is all the new pilot wings is, I'm going to be really sad. <laughs> but hmm, but bird aside... Bird aside, build a giant plane. You know, how you tilt it. It's how you're flying it. It's like you're literally... that makes more sense than a bird. Oh, you know, I guess the you, bird know, you know, like part. when a kid flies a plane, yeah. like in the morning, they're like Meow, making those sound effects. Yeah, and, and then they could have the sound effects come out of the tablet. And then they'll have a screen that shows them, I guess, where they're facing and what they're doing. They could try to land the actual plane. I, don't I know. guess I could. I guess pilot pilot wings would make sense, but pilot wings was just this chicken cardboard. I'd be a little disappointed. Maybe it's a Kakua. Wow, the birds from Zelda, the chickens from Zelda. Yes, yes. Maybe it's them getting their own game. I mean, we already had crossbow training to show off the zapper. It's possible. But but really, the most complex and impressive of all these Joy-Cons, I think we both agree here, like my favorite, I don't know if it's your favorite, is the piano. Yeah. Which is insanely complicated. Like, according to the Telegraph's hands-on, this thing takes a solid two hours to build. And when it's done, you have a fully working 13-key piano. Perhaps most impressive is not to say how it's a piano, but how it actually works. Like, each piano key has a small infrared sticker on the back and then you insert the right Joy-Con into the back of the piano and the IR camera on the bottom of the Joy-Con is scanning the stickers as they raise into view when you press the front of the key. So, you know, you push the front down, the back shoots up, it sees it and it's like, oh, you hit B flat or whatever and then it plays it. That's just kind of crazy. And what's even more impressive is they have these separate cardboard knobs. You that can... it replicate the weighted keys? Huh? It repl- well, it has a spongy surface so there's actually some push on the key. Like the key actually feels... Like well, key. I mean, like, if you tap it harder, it'll make a louder noise. Does it? Whether you tap it. I don't know if that's true. Oh, no, I don't know. I'm uh, assuming it doesn't. I, I assume it could, because if it's a spongy surface and you put more pressure in, then the back will raise higher. That's true. I guess and if, if more of it is shown... Yeah, because the IR camera can be smart like that, I would assume. But the thing I find more impressive than just, like, how long or how hard the key is hit 
is you can actually change pitches and noises, make it cat meows or whatever, by putting additional little pegs in the side of the piano. So it's a Yamaha. Are, it's a Yamaha. Or, With like 101 sounds. Or, here's what gets really crazy. You can draw your own sign graph and then have the IR camera look at the sign graph and then use that to modulate pitches as well. I have no idea how it does that. Like, this is just, the only people reporting this on the, te- or the telegraph, but they're really like, you draw a sign graph, you put it in, like, into the piano or somewhere, the IR camera reads the wave line, and then it will bend pitches appropriately. Makes sense. Which is crazy, because that means literally you can make any sound you want. Yeah. Which is really, really, really You can really, make it really sound cool. like people. Yeah. And then there's all the sounds, to be clear, are coming out of the tablet, the switch tablet, which sits in the middle of the piano, kind of like it's your sheet music. And then, of course, there'll be interactive things to do on there and whatnot. But, like, Seriously, sign graphs and Tesco have people making sign graphs. That's that's kind of crazy, but I think it really represents what Labo is as kind of a whole concept, which is it provides. I mean, we were kind of talking about this with does it let you build your own or not, but it kind of provides something with freedom and creativity that is very unusual for Nintendo, but is reminiscent of like a Lego Mindstorm or a Raspberry Pi, but for kids or you know whatever other ones you mentioned before. I think you said another one, but no, I, I meant to say Mindstorm, but I said Mindswarm. Oh, Mindswarm. Well, Mindswarm's just a bunch of Mindstorms in one place, I would assume. But, but um, there is um Maximo. I forgot what the name of that robot is, but it's like a build-it-yourself robot that mm-hmm. you just program. But yeah, this is like Nintendo finally going down that road, and then even stuff like the customization kit you mentioned for ten bucks, like the fact that you can get stickers and pattern tape and kind of just make the joy, the toy cons your own. That is, you know, more than we've seen Nintendo do. And if you go a step further, imagine what sort of music you can make with like the piano and that IR camera. You can literally make any sort of music you want. It's like, you, this, this is very un-Nintendo in that there's a lot more freedom than what you typically see. I mean, even more broadly speaking, assuming what we were saying before is true about um, building your own, you know, building your own toy cons, however you want them to be built. Like that is a level of of, create, of freedom and creativity that like Nintendo never does, and they're really encouraging it. Like as you build the existing Toy Cons, it walks you step by step through every technology of the to- of the Joy Con. It shows you diagrams of exactly how they work inside what you're building as you're building it with like tutorial videos on the Switch. You can either watch them in full or you can skip them if you understand it. Like it's very much teaching you about the technology, not just being like Legos where it's like put block A on block B. Sweet, okay, you now have a Wally. It's like, oh, I don't know how he got there, but sure. So all that points to this idea that you can really just kind of go wild with it. And I think that that, more than anything else, is where Labo is really going to shine. Because honestly, the gameplay elements themselves seem pretty secondary to this whole thing. Like what gameplay is going to come out of this doesn't seem that deep. I mean, given given that the robot kit's its own $80 beast, I imagine the robot game could have some depth. But like... What we've seen of the $70 variety kit, which is admittedly not much. Do you honestly expect that? I expect you're just going to be able to destroy buildings and that's it. Well, they've said there's multiple modes. They've already confirmed that. One mode is destroy buildings and UFOs. Yes, UFOs. But I imagine there's going to be some sort of goal thing. Like, I, I think both of these, be it the robot or the variety kit, we're going to get some sort of Wii Play-style minigame collection out of them. And that's going to be the extent of it. Like, it's not just going to be like you go and you smash buildings and there's no score or anything. There's going to be some sort of objectives and goals, and some will probably be deeper than others. But it's ultimately this is ultimately we play as far as I can tell, like the, you know the the variety kit we talked about the RC car you actually get two of them in fact when you buy it, but um, there's also the piano there's a fishing rod there's a motorcycle handlebar with corresponding pedal there's um a house just just a house I don't, yeah I don't really know what that's for but all those things are really 
impressive in how they're built like stuff like the you know the fishing rod has a string that goes into a base where your where your switch tablet sits and how that string is moved it determines out like a fishing pole exactly there yeah it determines how you pull the fish and the hd rumble will make it vibrate differently for different fish obviously the motorcycle handles you know you turn the house has something to do with like you stick shapes in the sides and that determines what happens in the mini game i don't really know but none of that seems very deep the most interesting thing i think nintendo said is the house has both mini games and a pet creature you can feed like separate things like there's a little you have a virtual pet in your house or you can do like mini games and even then that also sounds a bit shallow so yeah the games themselves are probably secondary but the thing is that might that might be enough at this point at least for a first phase days aimed at kids like let's just assume come april 20th when this comes out uh nintendo labo is exactly as i described it simple games with toy cons you build and then can get crazy with i mean does the pricing feel right for what it offers to you or like to in your opinion i know you like not to or to you yeah in your opinion does this seem it's 70 dollars for all these things you build from scratch plus some kind of we play level depth of gameplay is that enough is that a ripoff is that good is that bad uh, it feels too expensive for me why you say that what, what do you think it needs to do to because do if it is because if it ends up being as you said like those simple games and just building that and I don't know it doesn't really feel worth it would you say someone that teaches kids that if you were a parent or for whatever, me I mean if I had well a, I, know, I know for you personally that's on now expanding it if you were saying because yeah I agree as an adult I don't see $70 of value here but if I had a kid or if you look at some of the kids you teach in your class does that seem reasonable it still seems too expensive but I would definitely I could definitely think of some kids that would benefit from playing with something like this. Right. That's fair. Yeah, because I think... I don't know. My thinking here is, like, I don't mind the price. Like, the internet seemed to mind the price. But, like, you gotta kind of... You're buying not just the cardboard, and you're buying not just the simple games. You're buying kind of this holistic experience, right? So, like, one common complaint online was that Nintendo's charging you 70 or 80 bucks for cardboard. And I don't, I don't think you can get just distill it down like that i mean you're not paying for just some cardboard you're paying for an experience that happens to be made out of cardboard it's the same way that you when you buy legos you're paying for an experience made out of plastic or when you buy a video game if you really want to take this analogy one step too far you're paying for an experience made out of code well, like you don't I mean, hear anyone legos going, are expensive but i don't really hear too many people complain about the prices because they last basically forever yeah see that that's the difference because you I, what i was gonna say is like with a video game or with and legos, for the most part like any lego piece can literally be anything else a lot of these pieces from cardboard can only be but also when you yeah but also when you buy the lego all you're getting is the piece you're not getting the interactive half because yeah you're you're right the cardboard won't last forever but you can make more cardboard or have more cardboard you have like the a you have the brain of the operation that you're paying for too not just the cardboard so so a better analogy might be buying mindstorm and those things go for like 130 200 yeah so I feel like in ratio, this is kind of fair. Especially the people are like, oh, like cardboard for $70 and you – like it's it's there's not even much game to it. It's like, yeah, but you're not paying $70 for cardboard. In the same way, you're not paying $70, $60 for a bunch of ones and O's. You're paying for the experience that those ones and O's make called a video game. Or you're paying for the cardboard that the experience makes called, in this case, Nintendo Labo. Granted, maybe it's 10 bucks too much, but the people are like, oh, it shouldn't be worth more I mean, than $10. You also it's have like, to take into consideration that the average person doesn't think of games as ones and O's. Well, right, but I'm saying like I mean, you shouldn't no, think of the cardboard as cardboard. Well, it's a, I know. It's a thing I, that mean, comes I mean, they shouldn't, it. but yeah. they are. 
Right, that's, that's, the, that's the flaw I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, because I mean, I don't know, that's just Nintendo's thing that they have to market. Right, I mean, which, I mean, it seems like they did a good job. Yeah, I mean, it's super popular. And the funny thing is, like, another thing that you don't can't even consider, no one's ever going to say, well, that justifies the price. But it's something we're thinking about is, imagine all the R&D that went into something like this. Like, how many iterations of every design did they have to go through? The game development costs, the tweaking of all the Switch hardware features to make sure they actually work with something like this. Then making it all actually work together once they get every individual piece. Like, it adds up pretty fast. Like, in my opinion, the pricing doesn't seem all that bad. Like, I get what you mean that, yeah, obviously people are going to be like, well, it's still cardboard. But they're clearly not feeling that strongly about that because Robot Kit was number one on Amazon's video game charts within eight hours of this thing being announced. The Labo trailer, as of our recording of this podcast, has seven million views. That is double the views of the Nintendo Direct that happened a week prior. And that's excluding Facebook, where there's at least another three million last I looked. And Nintendo's stock went up 2.4% following the reveal of Labo, which added nearly $1.4 billion to their valuation and is now at a nine-year high as a result. So I guess, I mean, the people online complaining were pretty minimal, but the whole, like, it's just cardboard argument seems to be falling on deaf ears, which I guess is a good thing. Um, I agree, yeah, maybe $10 less, but I don't think the people that are like, it should be $7 are way, way out of perspective on this thing, I feel like. But, but this does nicely bring us to the other side of the Labo coin. Uh, like we talked about from the perspective of the product itself as potential purchasers, like I don't think either of us are getting it, but for kids maybe, or certain kids, at least in your classes. But there's also the fact that this is like peak Nintendo in every business sense of Nintendo. I mean, for long-time listeners, and certainly for you, Angel, you've heard me say this before, I have two favorite theses about Nintendo. One is that they never give up on an idea. And the other is that they love to sell accessories. And Labo is like the prime example of both of these things. Like this is the most Nintendo-y thing Nintendo's done in the history of Nintendo, perhaps. I mean, first, sorry, I'm going to go on a slight rant here, but first there's Nintendo's philosophy of never, yes, please do. But yeah, first the philosophy of Nintendo never letting an idea go to waste. We've seen them do it countless times. I've said it on the podcast before. The idea of stereoscopic 3D, you know, that went from Virtual Boy to 3DS and found success. Amiibo is the reincarnation of Game Boy Advance's e-reader found success. Uh, even the Wii U gamepad, in many ways, was just an extension of what asymmetric gameplay tried to be when you connected your GameCube and your Game Boy Advance back in the day with the whole connectivity thing they pushed really hard around, like, I don't know, 2003 or so, 2004. Um, but with Labo, what's different here is it's actually a few different smaller ideas that kind of merged into this crazy new Frankenstein of we found the right idea. Because uh, you've got things, you know, like the, we mentioned before, Project Giant Robot. That became the robot kit, no doubt about that. And then you look at something like the piano, and you can see, okay, yeah, they tried something like that with Wii Music. Now they're trying it a little more tactile with an actual piano, sure. Or like the motorbike accessory. That's just the jet ski, jet ski game from Wii Sports Resorts evolved into like something a little more, again, tactile, a little more physical. Or even the idea of cardboard modeling itself. Nintendo actually did this back in the 70s. They had a whole line of products called Paper Model. And it let you build everything from cars to buildings. You had printed sheets that mapped out what you punch out and fold, just like they do with Labo. And it, you know, it was it was a thing for a little while for them. There's actually this blog online called Before Mario that looks at the paper model line. We've linked to it in the episode blog post for anyone curious. But it's literally the non-game version. It's what toy cons would be if there weren't joy cons going into them. It's it's kind of funny how it's like so one to one. But but my point is. Nintendo probably couldn't iterate on any one of these ideas to make it compelling enough to sell, 
I suspect that's why Project uh, Project Giant Robot was listed for years as coming out for Wii U, but we never saw it after its first demo. Because, like, what are you going to do with it? No one wants to just throw punches as a giant robot on a gamepad. Like like you said, what, is it just good? You're going to hit buildings and that's it? Like, there's not much to it. But yet, well, you combine all these little tech demo-y ideas and the paper models and all these things into one concept. And they present that concept through this lens of, like, the Switch's modularity. Which really, at the end of the day, the Switch's hook is it's modular. That's what allows the console handheld duality. That's what allows all of it. It's this idea that you have a modular system. So if you take that, shove all these tech demos into that mindset or that lens, through that lens, suddenly it's kind of a compelling package. Suddenly you have all these loose ideas organized and rank and file and making sense in a cohesive Nintendo Labo setup. And I, I don't think that was an accident. Like, I don't think it's just like they stumbled their way to this. They never give up an idea. This was then very clear, like, okay, shelve this for now, we'll come back to it. Shelve this for now, we'll come back to it. Here's how we come back to it. They probably have, like, a giant drawer, like a filing drawer of just weird ideas that they don't know what to do with. And they just keep revisiting them whenever they get an idea of how maybe they can integrate stuff. And then, you know, we get stuff like this. So that brings me to Nintendo philosophy number two, which is a love of selling accessories. Nintendo loves to sell accessories. I mean, after... Uh, after all, you need something compelling, such as their new idea of Labo, in order to sell accessories, and that's ultimately what they want to do. And I'll admit, in the past, my point was more of an argument that Nintendo loves to sell us plastic. <laughs> like we, you okay there? I know yeah. plastic, shocking in this cardboard world, but yeah, uh, the the idea that they love to sell us plastic. Like we saw it with the Wii accessories, we saw it with Amiibo. It's a tried and true Nintendo tradition to sell us plastic things. And back before the Switch actually came out, it really felt like that'd be the case with the Joy-Cons. In fact, it could very well still be the case. We don't know if we're going to get Joy-Cons down the line that have like a GameCube setup or a, or, or a true actual D-pad or whatever. But what sparked the initial conversation of Switch's modularity back when the console was still called NX were leaked patents of an infrared controller attachment that I think we talked about in like... I want to say it was like August of last year, like or no, two years ago now, August 2016. Like, I don't know, do you remember that when we saw that leak patent? It's like, oh, weird. There's these, there's these infrared cameras you got to put in the sides of systems, and then you plug in controllers, and the controllers are completely electronic free. But when you press down the button, there's a little strip of infrared sticker, and then that sticker can be read by the camera, and that camera can then determine what button was pressed. And it's like a controller, except they swap in and out. Yes. Yeah. So we. Stupidly, in retrospect, we didn't, as the episode title says, think outside the box. We didn't go, oh, maybe it's not plastic. Where it's like, oh, duh, plastic accessories. Just give back the Wiimote add-ons, except a whole system of them. But here we are now, in 2018, Nintendo Zig, where we thought they'd zag, and they're not plastic. They're the cardboard. They're the toy cons. We knew two years ago these things were coming, but we didn't know they were coming like this. So like, Nintendo's still on the exact same path as not accessories. The Switch as we and others predicted is a thing about moving accessories and moving these modular controllers is just not at all how we thought it would be but it's still nintendo's mo of you know we love to make you buy accessories it's just now they're cardboard now they're eco-friendly you could say it's still 100 percent nintendo's uh normal behavior shall we say so I, i'd actually say um it's such a clever spin on how Nintendo loves to do accessories that it almost, it really does feel like Labo was designed, Switch was designed with Labo in mind. Labo was designed in tandem with Switch. Like, I don't think there's any way this was like an afterthought. I mean, it's, I think it's similar to how 
you've heard the stories, I'm sure. The N64 controller was specifically built around Miyamoto's requirements for Mario 64. Uh-huh. Like the C buttons are the camera. That's why they look like that. They're specifically camera controls. Had to be a joystick for 3D movement. Like all that was Miyamoto very specifically saying, I want this, that, and the next thing for my game. I'm pretty certain the Switch's Joy-Cons exist as they do, specifically because Nintendo had this vision of Labo, had this idea, maybe it wasn't cardboard yet, but had this idea of these interchangeable... I guess it had to be cardboard, actually, because they had to be buildable, because that's, that's the whole gimmick. So interchangeable, modular, cardboard things, and they knew they could pull it off, and they knew it could be a huge hit, and it would continue their favorite pastime of selling accessories in a new way that would be interesting, but... They just needed to have the right technology. Like, I mean, just think about the Joy-Con in the biggest in the bigger Switch picture thus far. Like, HD Rumble. It's a nice to have. It's cool, right? Like, Mario Odyssey uses it well. A few other games use it well. But it never really had a purpose for those traditional games besides just, well, that's neat. Like, is there a single use of HD Rumble that we've talked about in the past years where, where it was anything more than just, well, that's neat? I can't think of one. No. And, like, it's cool. It's just... There's no real purpose. So there's there's that. Then you got the IR camera, which is also nice to have, but literally I don't think a single game has used it outside of eating imaginary sandwiches in 1-2-Switch. Like mm-hmm. that, it's on the bottom of the system. It makes really no sense ergonomically. It's just kind of there. Yeah, the only thing they keep saying is that you could play rock, paper, scissors. And it's like no game has done, done that. that. Yeah. yeah, it's super weird. And yet both of those are critical for Labo to work. Both of those have to be how they are. The IR camera being on the bottom of the Joy-Con is what makes it make is what makes it so you can stick a Joy-Con into your piano and press the virtual keys and you make music. Like, that literally, it needs to be in that weird spot in order to point outward. If you put it, you know, on the top, you can't because there's short buttons. If you put it on the inside, you can't really, because it doesn't, like, it, it, you could slot in, but it's not the same as, like, sticking, you know, a rectangle into a hole. Anyway, point being, they needed it in a spot where it could actually be, like, a spotlight on something, like a flashlight. You don't have a flashlight light on the side of a flashlight. You have it on the front. So it... If you want to go full conspiracy theory with me here for a minute, I'd argue the Joy-Cons not only exist because of Labo, as actual Joy-Cons are not just, you know, little modular Wii remotes, but also are specifically named Joy-Con because of Labo. Like, let's be honest. Joy-Con's a weird name. I thought that ever since I first heard it. Some people argue it's short for joystick controller. But is there any modern controller that doesn't have a joystick? I mean, that's almost like saying ATM machine. It's a little redundant. Joystick controller. But, and here's where things get crazy, what if the Toy-Con name came first? Toy-Con, toy construction, toy controller. It, 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 those make sense. Those sound good. Those describe the cardboard kits perfectly. And then what breathes life into your Toy-Con? What turns your static object into something interactive and full of, shall we say, joy? Well, the Joy-Con, of course. It's the joy of your toy construction. It allows it to come to life. It allows it to be an interactive thing and not just a little cardboard box. And it gives it nice shared branding when you have Toy-Con and Joy-Con. So my theory is Toy-Con came first, Labo came first, Joy-Con was named and built around, in many ways, around what was needed for Labo, and now here we are. I rest my case. Okay. (laughs) No, but if you do subscribe to this obviously 100% accurate theory that Labo and Switch were developed hand-in-hand, it also ties in incredibly nicely with Nintendo's on-the-record actual 100% real strategy of expanding the Switch's footprint outward from core gamers to casuals. I mean, think about it. Can you imagine what would have happened if Labo was revealed alongside the Switch? Like, instead of Karen on the rooftop with Mario, it was like a split second in Mario, and then also, here's some cardboard? Like, core gamers would lose their minds. They'd be like, 
it'd be mayhem in the streets. Like all those kitty and casual accusations about Nintendo that they managed to shake off because of how well Switch is on would have come flooding back. There'd be so many quote unquote like core gamers who have just written off Switch entirely because, oh, this is the thing with the cardboard toys. That's stupid. Like PR wise, starting with Labo would have been bad. But by going core first, Nintendo's able to literally just sidestep it. They're able to leverage the enthusiasm. I mean, we don't even have Netflix. We have Hulu. Right, because again, they were just like, here core gamers have core games. Like, all the other stuff doesn't matter. This thing is the fastest selling console in American history off the back of the early adopters who are core gamers. Off the back of the ones that are enthusiastic about this value proposition of just a home console on the go or a portable console you can also play at home. Like, on your TV. Not all of them play at home, technically. But, like, just going that route, they were able to just secure the early adopters, the people that would be fickle, they were able to get out of the way. Because once your two rolls around, once you're ready to add casuals and kids to the mix, those folks literally don't care if Skyrim or Doom were on Switch before they bought it in the way that a Skyrim or Doom purchaser may care that there was cardboard on the Switch before they buy it. It's a really weird – gamers are fickle, weird people. We're, I'm one of them. I'm saying this out of love. I don't know, question mark. But um, yeah, it took a while for Nintendo to learn that you can't – you have to like pitch to the core gamers and then pivot away versus pitch to casuals and pivot towards – like it, it doesn't. It's not a two-way street, but they finally learned it, and now that Switch has name recognition, now that it's a thing among core, they can go to the casuals. Plus, the upside for the casuals is they've heard of Switch thanks to the core caring so much, thanks to it breaking records off that. So it's one last aspect to explain to less familiar consumers. Like when Nintendo had to go, okay, we got this console. It has these weird controllers you pop off the side, but it's also a tablet. But it's not like an iPad tablet. It's like a game tablet, and then you like put it on your TV and you play it on TV. Oh, and also you slide it into cardboard. And then you put it in cardboard, and then you do this with cardboard. That'd be a little confusing, but if you're just like, you know the Switch that's really popular, you've seen it in stores, you know what we're talking about. Yeah, you can now use it with cardboard. Here's how it works. Like, they save a whole half of the explanation. It's just a lot easier of a sell, which was kind of the Wii U's problem, is that there's a lot of things going on at once with the Wii U, and none of it made total sense. So they're like, it's a TV, but it's also a handheld, but it's also cardboard. It's like, what? So I, I think just, generally speaking, Nintendo was very smart in how they rolled this out. This thing was, Labo was probably ready since Switch launched. And they just sat on it and waited till the moment was right. And I, th- I think that's smart. They're patient. Yes. Well, I mean, they had they're making tons of money anyway. Yeah. So plus, you you know, if you you don't want to like blow your load, so to speak, up front with all the games at once, just let them space it, which is which is nice. But but to wrap up our labo labo conversation, talk about it at a high level, talk about it at a business level, on a more personal level. I know we were saying it's for kids, but like, okay, let's be honest, we're Nintendo nerds. You buying this thing at any point? At any point? Is this the thing you will ever buy? Probably, I, I'm going to prob- cave. Probably not. Really? Interesting. I'm for sure going to cave at some point. I just don't know when. I mean, if <laughs> I do, it would be just for the... Piano. The robot kit. Mm. Mm. Just because the other one is... I don't know. It just feels like cool cool things to build once, and then it's just going to be taking up space. and then that's Well, it. the beauty of it is you can just throw it away when you're done. Because that's another <laughs> no, that's thing. I don't want to. I don't want to like throw away something that I just. Bought. Although actually, that's something I didn't even think about. That's a nice thing of doing cardboard. Is Nintendo? They love making accessories, but they know people now hate accessories. Like all the Rock Band kits everywhere, all the Wii Remote accessories everywhere. So like, well, what if you keep it when it's you recyclable. care, and then it's recyclable when you don't care? It's it's another smart move, and it's so much cheaper to make cardboard. But um, yeah, I I mean. If I were to get one, I'd get the variety kit. So we'd actually complement each other pretty nicely there. But oh, I don't... But I am, like, 99% yeah, I'm, sure I'm not going to get anything. I'm very conflicted. Like, when I saw the piano was as complex as it was, I was like, oh, maybe. But then I'm kind of like, no. 
I think I think I might wait. Well, until... one of my friends is gonna have a kid in about nine months, so maybe nine months. <laughs> maybe when they become like two or three, I'll get them the kit for them, and then I could play it that way. Well, I'd be oh oh, one of your friends is having a kid. I thought you said one of your friends is gonna have a kit in nine. months. No, it's gonna have a kid. In, oh in about yeah, nine yeah. So they get in a couple of years. I actually think we could alternative plan. We could drive to San Francisco where they're doing one of the demo sessions. They're calling it the Nintendo Labo. I just want to try it once. Me too. And that's it. Me too. I don't... They're doing demo sessions but you need a child so we could hear me out and this well, isn't incriminating well then, then just find an adult and you're good this is haha no, that's actually pretty good no this isn't incriminating because um, you know it's not like we're being recorded or anything but hypothetically we could kidnap a child make it our own and then take it to San Francisco just to play Labo and then you know once we're done we give the child back no harm no foul right you're on your own <laughs> but yeah I'm not there's no way I'm doing that but I think when I would I could totally see you Charlie trying yeah right I'm not gonna kidnap someone but when um when I think I might actually legitimately jump in is when there's deeper experiences because I have no problem building something once and having it built and then you know all using it for a game but the problem is not very much to do with the games but Reggie Reggie told The Verge that Nintendo actually sees opportunities to target a broader range of ages in the future and the initial trailer did show some more interesting Joy-Cons that don't yet exist or sorry not Joy-Cons Toy-Cons that don't yet exist like we saw a gun of sorts we saw what appears to be one of those powerball lotto spinners i have no idea what you do with that in a video game but it's there and most interestingly the one that caught my eye is we saw a camera a cardboard camera and i remember last episode when we were like what ips could nintendo revive kind of unrelated to this but just in general you made a point about fatal frame would be cool i'm kind of thinking like i don't know what exactly you would do with it but they have a camera with Labo. That's almost too perfect. In theory, you could do something with Fatal Frame. Just put the screen on there, and then it's like... Yeah. It's like AR, but not really. You're just moving the camera in the game. And but it can the shutter, screen. and then you can twist the front the, to um, focus it. I mean... Th- I It'd mean, be great for Pokemon Snap as well. Yeah. To bet that only really... I mean, for Fatal Frame, it would have only really worked perfectly on the Wii U, because then... Like, cause you still want like uh, an always active screen like your TV, and then when you pull up the gamepad, that would be the camera, so that you could see the ghosts that are tormenting you on the screen. That's true for Pokemon Snap as well. It would be yeah, I mean, kind of like how Captain Toad used it, or how everyone's like, "Oh, that's what Pokemon yeah. Snap should." Or have even been, the Google Street that we just never got for some reason. Or even but. the Google Street View app that we had for like a minute. Like that was cool because it's like you were in like a dome. But you still have context of where, you know, like you look any which way in the gamepad made it seem like you're in a physical space. But you look at your TV and you still have full context of what's around you, which, you know, for a game, as you said, that could be there could be ghosts, there could be Pokemon. But for like anything, you the context helps walking around with just the camera. I guess that more yeah. accurately I, I mean, simulates real world camera use. But it's kind of like you don't know where to go unless the game somehow yeah, guides you. I, it'd be I guess it would kind of suffer in the transition from. Like Zombie U on the Wii U to whatever Zombie, zombie U was. Without, the... Zombie without a U. Yeah, without Literally. a U. <laughs> it was just called Zombie? It was just called Zombie, Z-O-M-B-I. Yeah. Which is honestly not a good name. But um, Zombie U is so much better. But yeah, like, I actually, you know, I could see Pokemon Snap. It could just, it could almost be like Pokemon Go in that. Well, no, even Pokemon Go, you have a map you look at. But I guess, I guess the camera could guide you. There could be like crazy cat I mean, style Pokemon Snap playing, obviously but... worked without two screens and people seem to really like it so well it worked because it's all on the tv and it was <laughs> well all... yeah well i mean that's it like, there's no reason why it can't all be on one screen that's true it just therefore exists. it could yeah. just be on the camera that you're fair enough i mean but yeah see, but see that it sounds like that would get both of us to potentially buy a labo Actually, camera no, and build I, think it. I think pokemon snap was always from the camera's perspective the entire time i don't think you but ever... you're on an automatic movie no no part. yeah yeah but i mean you never go third person is what i'm saying that's correct i mean you're on rails so i mean it's moving but i mean you just 
look all around. So I guess you. in theory, yeah, so Pokemon could, Snap could work. Yeah, in theory, you can sit with the Labo camera, the toy con. Yeah, just sit down, have someone vibrate your chair, so it's like you're moving <laughs> forward. And there exactly, you know. just build some hydraulics in, it'll be fine. Yeah, but or, yeah, or like, put a rolly chair on a treadmill, and even you know. better until you realize that you're moving at a different pace on the treadmill <laughs> than the game's moving, and you, you fall off. Well, you could adjust the speed. That's true. And it's a rolly chair. That's why you're staying in place. True. True. Sounds like you're all set for the camera. Sounds like that's when you're jumping in is the camera. I mean, honestly, for me, it's going to take something of that level of depth to probably get really into Labo beyond just, like, a curiosity. But the other thing I kind of want to see Nintendo do is I really want to know what they're going to do with multiplayer on this thing. Like, imagine what sort of crazy contraptions you can build if you're utilizing multiple sets of Joy-Cons and you have, like, separate pieces of Labo toy-cons and then they interlock in some interesting way that does something totally different once they do. Like, I'm thinking of this more as a, like, a mindstorm. I would be okay with that. I used to love Boppet as a kid, even though the new one. Have you seen the new Boppets? They're weird now. Yeah, you they make your ultra, own. They look ultra, like, hip, too. Like, I don't like the color scheme. I miss the old 90s. Like, random, like, lemonade yellow and whatever. And teal. Teal is a big color in the 90s. I don't know why. Well, People love the shade of teal. But anyway. Still yeah, good color. I think it's true. But I think, um, yeah, I just think there's so much interesting stuff they could do if they have, like, labos that either interlock or somehow pit against one another in some sort of multiplayer competition. Like, the, I imagine the robot game, if you have a friend with the robot seat, you can fight them back. I don't know. But the the fact that the variety kit comes with two RC uh, Toy-Cons, car, RC Kark Toy-Cons, suggests to me that Nintendo's already thinking along these lines. So who knows? Maybe we're just saying it too early. Maybe multiplayer is already a factor in all this. Time will tell. I mean, not to toot our own horn here too much, but I like to think we're actually getting pretty half-decent at this whole prediction thing. So the, the multiplayer thing could very well happen. Pokemon Snap filtering could very well happen. And I say we're getting pretty decent at it because we spent, what, a solid hour of our last episode just predicting what would happen with all these Nintendo announcements. And one of them specifically that we said we expected to see was a new IP showcasing the Joy-Con's capabilities. And lo and behold, here is Nintendo Labo showcasing the Joy-Con's capabilities as a new IP. So... I mean, it happened outside the Direct itself, but it still happened. So I think we can take credit for that. It's, it's actually kind of interesting, though. The thing we got the most wrong with our predictions is we made the assumption that everything that would be announced would be announced inside a single Nintendo Direct. Because that's how they do it. You have a Direct, you announce your stuff, and then that's it. Radio silence for another six weeks. And what happened is they instead tailored the news to each individual audience which in retrospect is a lot more logical and I'm not sure why they never did this before but like the Direct which ended up only being a mini was focused on Switch games for Switch gamers. It was Nintendo appealing directly to their base. What little 3DS news we had, Detective Pikachu and the Nintendo Selects, those got pushed to just standard press releases even though again we thought those would be in the Direct. Uh, it's presumably not to affect the whole like Switch 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 momentum of the Direct but whatever. And then the Labo announcement ended up being it's totally own thing kind of out in the ether with the broader public it like like if you look at just the publications they showed it to not a single gaming publication saw it they showed it to the guardian to time to the telegraph to the verge literally no ign no GameSpot, no any of that so i think rather smartly nintendo's actually starting to realize you not just have to market things in the correct order to get people on board at the correct times but you gotta kind of market them at the correct people. You can't just assume everyone cares about an entire direct or everyone cares about a Labo. Like, Labo would be pointless in a direct. That makes total sense as its own beast. So, so props to them for uh, doing that. But since we already covered Labo quite in depth, let's talk about the direct. Something a little more close to home as gamers. 
Um, if nothing else, I would say this Direct was single-handedly the weirdest hype cycle and rollout that Nintendo has ever done for one of these things. I mean... And essentially, people, people found out there was going to be a Direct, and that drove them crazy. They and... lost their minds. Like, it was... It, rumors were already at Fever Pitch before Nintendo even announced the thing. So they decided to just kind of ride it out. They didn't... Um, they didn't, like, announce that it was coming. Instead, as fans kind of whipped themselves into a frenzy, Nintendo simply tweeted a photo of Chibi Robo on fire, kind of acknowledging we hear you, kind of playing into it. But then it just, like, went crazy from there. Like and someone lit their Chibi Robo amiibo on yeah, fire. Yeah, no, literally someone lit it. Yeah, I saw that. And I was like, you do realize, like, this this is for just a meme. But, yeah, it was, like, super – it got, like, super meme heavy. It was, like – other companies were jumping in. The Mega Man Twitter, the Sonic Twitter, the Doom Twitter, all of them had pictures of things on fire. Then more unexpected ones, like, what is Origin PC, which is HP's, like, gaming laptop? Why are they jumping on this? Why is Assassin's Creed there? That's not on Switch. Why is Riot Games doing it now? Oh, and here's Obsidian doing it now. Like, it was all these... Literally, the whole industry, like, the entirety of the gaming industry was just like, well, this is fun, and just sort of got in. And it was very clever, although probably unintentional, that Nintendo let this happen this way. Because there are more people talking about the potential announcement of a Direct, not even the Direct itself, just the fact that there is a Direct on the way, then there probably have ever been talking about a Direct at any point. Like, it went it went viral. It was, in the gaming world, it was the single most talked about thing that day. It's kind of crazy. But of course, when you have a Direct with that much hype, when it then surprise drops at 6 a.m. the next morning, and it's only a Direct Mini, and it's full of ports, and not that many surprises, I can see people or you know i can see why people might be let down like the hype cannot sustain itself to actually there's no way that hype sustainable there's no way whatever you get out of it at the other end is actually gonna be worth all the build-up i think a lot of people are just in it for the fun of the build-up but i'm sure some people legitimately bought into the hype and walked away like well that wasn't e3 it's like well of course it wasn't e3 it was january what do you expect but to be honest I was actually pretty happy with what I saw. I mean, it's an outline, outline of the next few months, nothing more, nothing less. When you look at retroactively now, knowing what else Nintendo did in the past two weeks, pretty solid couple weeks for Nintendo news. I mean, what do you think about the Direct, like coming out of it, gut feeling versus now? Were you bummed as support? Were you cool with the new stuff they showed? I wasn't showed? bummed with any of it. It was just, all right, cool. The more games to look forward to, not too many that I have to buy. Cause that's kind of good because backlogs. Yeah, exactly. Like I, the last thing I, it, it sounds really weird to say, but the last thing I want is, for every game to be a game that I really want to get. Mm-hmm. So I'm kind of glad that, like, I was happy to see Tropical Freeze getting ported over. I was happy to see, like, Dark Souls getting ported, and there was another port that I'm missing. Um, I'm lagging out a bit, but... World Ends With You? Yeah, that was an interesting port to see. So yeah, let, let's actually, sure. let's actually mm-hmm. break this down a bit. Let's go game again, because I think both of us probably think say about many of them. Um... We 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 made a lot of predictions last episode about what this was going to be. Some came true, some didn't. I'm kind of shocked we didn't see Fire Emblem Switch whatsoever. Here here we go again. There's a rumor that in February there's going to be another direct, and it might be in there. But for now, who knows? Project Octopath Traveler. I thought that'd be a shoe in. Nowhere to be seen. But one of the larger predictions we did make, which ended up being right, and now we're getting to the nitty of the games, is that Nintendo's going to leave a lot of the big surprises to third parties. And sure enough, the direct was bookended front or beginning and end with two enhanced ports of third-party games that you may or may not have expected coming to Switch. One was The World Ends With You. The other was Dark Souls. So Dark Souls, the Dark Souls Remastered, as it's officially called, was the big finale of the presentation. It was like the, the big mic drop, if you will. And it was rumored before, but no one really knew what form it would take. And what we ended up getting 
is it's the original game with its DLC included. It has a cleaned up frame rate. It's running at 1080p, 30 frames per second when the switch is docked. Who knows what it is when it's not docked. That's it. That's pretty much it. Not necessarily knock against it, but you know, some people are hoping maybe they're going to uh, like rejigger the, the level designs a bit. Maybe it'd be cross-platform multiplayer. So, you know, if you die, because Dark Souls' big hook is you die and then you kind of live on as a ghost in that spot and then other people play through an online connection and they come across you and you give them stuff or whatever or hints or whatever it may be. And without cross-platform, that will limit the number of people, but realistically, realistically, that might be a pipe dream. I don't know. But it's just Dark Souls. That's It's just straight up Dark Souls. So the appeal, of course, is you can now play it on the go. But for those who may have been hoping for more of a Definitive Edition or Deluxe Edition, it's not really there. It's just Dark Souls. I mean, isn't that basically it? I mean, this is a Definitive Edition. Yeah, I guess, uh, I guess it is. Yeah, I guess it's Definitive, on not top Dark. Of the fact yeah. that or now you have it, now that you can play it as a home game or a portable game. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's kind of what I'm saying. It's like yeah. everyone that wanted something different. Like, if you've never played Dark Souls, it's great. If you have played Dark Souls and want to play it on Go, it's great. If you're on PS4 or Xbox One and you want to play it in 4K, guess what? Now you can. But if there's anyone that's kind of like, well, I hope they fix some stuff, they did not, just so you know. Like, I don't have a problem with this, but I know I saw some people just like, oh, Dark Souls. Okay. It's like, well, yeah, that, that's how it works. When it goes horrible, you're just getting Dark Souls. But that said, what are your thoughts? Have you ever played Dark Souls? No. See, I've, I've only played it once at a friend's place. It's it's fun, but I don't know if exactly my cup of tea, but I feel like it's up your alley because it's all about difficulty. And as someone, you, who is, you know, going to Zelda Breath of the Wild, Breath of the Wild's DLC specifically because it's now really hard, I feel like this is kind of up your alley. It has It's kind of a grind. It has a grind to it, but has mm-hmm. it ever, it's one of those things that you just never played or I mean, I just never consciously? Got, or, I just never got around to it. Right. I mean, it was always on my radar. I so know, are you going to pick it up for Switch? I Elvis has played it. I know he's definitely played on um, Bloodborne, which is like the next game they worked on. But I don't know. I'm, I'll probably check it out. I mean, I know it controls a lot like Monster Hunter, like very sluggish. Mm-hmm. But I yeah, guess you really feel the weight of the characters. Then. Yeah, like very. Yeah, it's pretty much. Yeah, it's a horror Monster Hunter, I guess. Mm-hmm. But mm. I mean, it is fine. And, and here's the thing: like on PS3 and Xbox, or I played it on a PS3. It it looks good. Like I can only imagine how it's gonna look like. You know, in your hands at 1080p. I imagine, and you don't need the frame rate to be 60 for something like this, to be honest. So, like, I imagine it's going to be perfect for, for Switch. The only thing that I remember, um, anytime I watch gameplay of it, its visual style just kind of puts me to sleep. Just because everything is so it muted is, and dark. It is very muddy brown. Or not muddy brown, it's but muddy, it's dark. It's like muddy brown or muddy black or gray. It's very... It runs a spectrum from, like, black to brown. <laughs> yeah. So, there isn't, like, much color, which, I mean, it's great for its mood, but... Yeah, it just gets me really sleepy. I can see this is gonna sound weird. I could now that you mention that you, you're right. It is very dark because you're. I mean, like, like right now, I was playing Sonic Mania, just looking how vibrant neon, and colorful. I know. Yeah. But yeah, I'm, I'm just thinking like I could see on Switch where everything's pushed into that oh, you know that man, tiny screen. Well, well, I guess we'll have to see how it looks. But yeah, I can imagine that just looking like nope. I'm just gonna play this on it's my TV. It's gonna look great as Dark Souls, but then it's like, do you want Dark Souls on that tiny screen? Like, it's, because you know how a second ago, like, it's gonna look great. Like, it looked good on PS3. It is gonna look great. It's just gonna be really condensed, so. Because, like, even weird stuff, like, we're not talking about this episode, but eventually we're gonna share Rocket League impressions, and even that one, like, it, it's interesting because it's the UI of the PC version, essentially, but it's, like, pushed down onto the Switch screen. It's like, I don't know what that server connection log says because it's the size of an ant, but, you know, it's... Things Although that, that's that part of the problem. Of it is really good with Switch. split screen, surprisingly. I, I'd believe that. Yeah, oh, yeah. they we, had to optimize it. But 
but yeah, it's just I guess that's I guess yeah, I guess that's the inherent nature of Switch is if you're taking HD games on the go, this is what happens. It's exactly what PS Vita had, same exact problems. So, so who knows? But honestly, what caught my eye more than Dark Souls was uh, the first game of the direct, the one that opened the show, which was the World Ends with You final remix. Granted, what we're talking about here is just an HDification of a ten-year-old DS game, and the reason I'm interested in it is kind of weird because like I feel like I just have this newfound appreciation for the Shibuya district. I stayed there for a week when I was in Japan in April, so now seeing it in a game, I was like, oh, I actually kind of, like, know what they're referencing. So that, like, I always was kind of interested in it. I just never picked it up on DS, never got the iOS version. And then I think what's now pushing me over the edge is like, oh, I stayed there. I know Shibuya. I kind of want to see what they do with it. So now I'm more interested, I guess. It's it's a dumb reason, but whatever. But with Final Remix, um, what Square Enix is doing is they're not just bringing over the original content, and this actually contrasts nicely with Dark Souls, they're actually adding a supposedly pretty hefty epilogue on top of The World Ends With You main story. Years ago, they announced or teased that they were doing some sort of New World Ends With You thing. It never really happened, and now it looks like the tease matches up with what this epilogue will be. So, kind of cool that they're actually falling through on that. Did Did you ever play World Ends With You? Yeah, I played it a okay amount. It, wasn't, it was never mine. A friend of mine had it, and they so played DS. it all the way through. Yeah, they played it on DS. And I enjoyed it enough to be like, all right, this is a cool game, but never enough that it, never enough to actually bother. What held you back? Playing. I'm just curious. Was it the battle system? Was it was it a little too fake edgy for its own good? Might have been the art style. Really? I guess I don't know. Maybe I, mean, I like the art style. I don't know. I mean, not that I dislike the art style, but it just I don't know. A little too edgy for its own good. <laughs> yeah, it had I, a very Jet Set Radio vibe. I think it also just comes down to bad timing. It's a pretty lengthy game, and mm-hmm. at the time, I think I was just playing other stuff. Fair enough. Right around to it. I'm, I'm honestly really curious to see what they do with the battle system for the Switch version, because like the original DS version, as you know, two screens, right? The battles took place on both, yeah. and you use touchscreen and buttons, if I'm not mistaken, right? Uh-huh. Like a combo, so you're like literally managing two things at once. But then when they moved it to iOS for the solo remix, as they called it, they had to scrap all that because iOS doesn't have buttons and doesn't have two screens. So they kind of like this. The secondary character became like something you just assign things to, and then like it. I guess you had you controlled your main character, and the way you did the input was different, and all this stuff. From what I've read, it seems like the touchscreen and single screen approaches have their own set of fans. It's personal preference. One isn't better or worse; they're just different. But I'm kind of curious what they do with Switch. Because Switch... Well, they were like, play with the classic controls or play with the new... Did they say that? Yeah. But how do you... But there's still only one screen, so you can't quite do the classic well, controls. The, well, yeah, unless you can't. Unless they split well, it down well, the Because the screen... I mean, when you played Battles in The World Ends With You, all it did was... It kind of contrified the two screens. It's not like there was different information on the bottom. It was just... Well, that's how you control two characters. It was just nowadays. a really long one. I mean, yeah, there was a character on the top and a character on the bottom. Right, that's what I mean. It's but, like, I mean, it's no different than just... Combining the whole real estate into one. That's true. I guess they could just put the characters. I mean, there's no side. now that there's no border. It was still one continuous scene you were looking at. It was just split by the the fact that you have right. Two so, screens. They, so they just need to reframe the screen. Yeah, interesting. No. So it's actually combining both. Okay. Yeah, it's just combining yeah. both into one giant screen. I did see you can use either Joy Cons or traditional control. It sounded like they said you, it sounded like from the press release you could actually use motion control, which is like oh. what. But no, I I get what you're saying. Yeah, that that's probably the best of both worlds is you can do either solo remix or original combat. Yeah, because they are distinctly different. So. I mean, time will Just tell. without a stylus? I mean, I guess you could use a stylus. Well, but... it still supports touchscreen. No, yeah, yeah. yeah. But, but, I mean... But Do you the need touchscreen... a stylus? I mean... Well, the game was designed with a stylus. I mean, I'm assuming there was more... 
I mean, there were more like more precise buttons. Oh, uh, interesting. I mean, I don't know. Sometimes the stylus just feels more accurate than a finger. I mean, the the upside is they have more width. They yeah. have more horizontal screen real estate to work with on the Switch. So if they keep most of the main battle in the middle and then they fill the side with bigger buttons, you won't need a stylus in yeah. theory. But yeah, I guess time will tell exactly how they do it. Like, we don't even know when Final Remix is getting released. But regardless, here's another game from Square Enix that looks interesting and further solidifies that they are single-handedly most likely the biggest supporter of Switch in the third-party world, which is such a 180 from the PlayStation 2 days and PlayStation 1 days. It's still kind of mind-boggling to me. Like, they love Nintendo now. It's like the Super Nintendo all over again. It's very nice. But, uh, yeah. One, very nice. Very good. Very, very, very good, good show. Good show, old sports. But, yeah, one um, there's one other third-party prediction we made that came true. And this was a rumor that we didn't – like, we were just like, yeah, that sounds plausible. So it's not really our prediction. But that was that there would be a new SNK game. And it's specifically why I think you said – Well, we just said Metal Slug. <laughs> well, no, I said Metal Slug. But then you made a point about, like, there's already so many Metal Slugs on Switch. Maybe it's something else. Or maybe it's a new Metal Slug or something else. And I was like, well, yeah, that makes sense for a year anniversary. It turns out you were right that it's something else. It's not just an anthology. It's not just a re-release. It is something new. And that is a fighting game. Actually, it's called SNK Hero SNK Heroines Tag Team Frenzy, and as the name implies, stars the ladies of SNK games from over the years, focused on tag team battles. I mean, in a nutshell, the whole thing looks a bit more casual than a typical fight, or a, a casual spin on fighting games, I should say. Uh, there are items that show up in battles. You charge up special attacks that can then be triggered with just one button press. You don't need to like, do combos. And you also, interestingly, cannot fully defeat someone until you pull off a special, what they call dream finisher, after you lower their HP. Which is kind of an interesting spin on what most fighting games do, where it's just like, when they're dead, they're dead. So, as a resident fighting game fan, thoughts? Man, team fighters <laughs> are really popular right now. They are. Blaze Blue I'm, does it too, and that's out in June on I mean, Switch. yeah, between Blaze Blue, um, Dragon Ball Z, Marvelous mm-hmm. Capcom right now, and all this. What, what's so, interesting about this to me is, um, well, first of all, wh- what are you... I don't know. It is more casual, so I don't know if it's going to resonate. Well, I mean, I don't know. About, I mean, I didn't think it looked more casual. I mean, it I think looked, they were already billing it as that. I didn't I mean, look that up. <laughs> I mean, everything was there. Like, it's no different than Marvel's Capcom also having a single button mode and some other, like, stuff to make it easier for newcomers. But there's no second step once you get past that single button mode in this one. Oh, really? I don't that's know. what I'm saying. It, it, the, it the hook like is there was. Single, no, there's not. I read the press release. Oh, it, well. That's why I'm saying it's more casual. Well, but, either way, I mean, I don't know. I like the idea of a new SNK fighting game. I so, mean, it's on this on PS4, right? It is also on PS4. It's coming out at the same time. Would you be interested in buying the $120 collector's edition? No, I'm also not going to get the <laughs> regular edition. Because with games like this, it's really all about just... Especially with, like, I think, like anthology games like Marvel vs. Capcom or SNK Heroines, it really comes down to whether you have a character that you care about or whether you... Sure. Like that established franchise. Well, do you play SNK Fighters? I've never. You've never talked about it. Like, have you played? No. Do you play King of Fighters ever? Have you ever touched it? Is that I, a thing in your life? I mean, I know. I recognize like maybe two characters in that game, but mm-hmm. it's like, oh, I know this character from King of Fighters, or this other character from I think Metal Slug was one of them. But yeah, that's pretty much it. There's like no character that I really have an attachment to, so I kind of, I kind of have no reason to get it. Kind of yeah. like how. Like, Injustice 2, like, that game looks awesome. Like, I love the way the fighting moves. I love the animations. I love everything about it. But I haven't gotten it or played it because there isn't a character resonate, that I want, that I right. care to play about. I mean, I'm well, just saying. Well, Ninja Turtles that they just announced. If you're not getting that collector's but, yeah. edition, you're missing out on a, you ready for this list? It's kind of absurd. Hardcover art book, soundtrack, pins of all the characters, a figurine, a sweatband, a shirt, and a towel, and a hat. 
You can have all that for this game you don't care about with characters you don't care about. Just think about that. Well, unless it gets Ninja Turtle DLC, like... Well, that's not going to happen, let's be real. <laughs> but uh, it's actually kind of funny that NIS America, the guys publishing this, are really into collector's editions. Like the other game they showed in the Direct, which was uh, Yeez 8, or however you say it, YS, I think it's Yeez. Um, RPG, you know, it's a JRPG, whatever. But it also comes with a massive collector's edition that has like... I think almost, if not the same amount of stuff, you get not one but two books, a letter opener, a collector's box, a soundtrack. Like, it's it's really, they really love, they know their niche, and they just really care to those niche fans. It's smart. But, but yeah, the game, the game itself. Um, did you get kind of a Smash Bros. vibe from it? Not on a surface level, but I kind of got a Smash Bros. Vibe, no, I but. literally just saw Marvel vs. Capcom or... So I mean, yeah, they're, they're they're borrowing from a lot of games. I mean, stuff like they have a spectator mode. Like the way you unlock items in the game is you get coins in game, and one way to get coins is through a spectator mode where you go online and you bet on fighters and you whoever wins, you know, you get the share of the profits or whatever. Like that's pulled from a lot of fighters. But one thing, and obviously the tag team, you're right, Marvel's Capcom through and through, even just how the game looks. But just something about besides just combining characters from multiple games, they're just. The kind of like casual party game approach that Smash originally set out to do, like remember, Smash was never intended to be an esport. Because I mean, even it if it is using like casual techniques, like just from looking at it, it still looks like any other two D fighter. Well, yeah, I think I think what made me think Smash is that it has items. No, the idea that you're not just KOing someone. The whole weird concept that like you whittle down someone's HP. And then you have to do a finishing move. In this case, they call them Dream. Somethings. I mean, if anything, then it's more like PlayStation All Stars. <laughs> sure, but because that the, one you don't get anything unless you use your special move at the end. Yeah, and I guess PlayStation All Stars is a riff on Smash in and of itself, at yeah. least. On, but yeah, what I was gonna say is, like in Smash, you know, it doesn't matter how much damage you do to someone. Like the, the, the there's no like Sometimes you, you know you ma- you, yeah you max out the damage you don't it doesn't matter the idea is you do a certain move at a certain time and that kills them. Granted, Smash has a lot more wiggle room with that. You know, any number of moves can do any number of things that knock them off the screen. But the idea that, like, health is separate from death, kind of this does. I mean, granted, you have to lower the health to get there. But just this concept of, like, you can't just knock someone out. You have to do, like, one more thing. Just kind well, of felt squishy. <laughs> no, yeah, I, I, I get what you mean. Yeah. But... And it's not one-to-one. It's just sort of between between like. The... <laughs> but if you take your word literally, like, that, that is all you have to do with Smash. You just literally have to knock someone out. In Smash? Yeah. Oh, oh yeah, not literally <laughs> knock someone Yeah. But, 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 KO but, 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 someone versus know, but, but, physically remove them from know, the premises. But, but, <laughs> but your analogy just seems like perfect for PlayStation All-Stars because that's yeah. literally all it is. Well, yeah, PlayStation All-Stars is that I took Smash and then almost brought it back to normal fighting game yeah. mechanics in a lot of ways. Yeah, that game tried to be... It tried to be both. Yeah, yeah it, 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 tried to be, it tried to be both in its own thing, but yeah. I don't know. I, I really like that game. That game was awesome. Yeah, it was. It was. I remember playing with you a little, and it was. It was kind of cool, but it um, was it not. Def- it definitely shines as a two v two game. It's I have way more fun two versus two in that game than with Smash Brothers. But from 2v2. a uh, from a sales perspective, it was no Smash. Oh well, yeah. I mean, but yeah, yeah. who could be? But yeah, besides besides the three games we discussed thus far, thus far, you know, SNK and uh, Dark Souls and world ends with you besides that besides yeez 8 there wasn't a whole lot of surprises in terms of third-party stuff in the direct weirdly like we expected Faye or sorry fia to be there and it was there but here's the thing in the direct itself we we got to learn this pronunciation finally you know how i was like Faye, fee fi i don't know what it is nintendo called it Faye, but then in a twitter video by the developers at zoink they all pronounced it fia so I don't know where the ah comes from, but it's apparently Fia. 
There you go. We learned that. We also got a new look at Payday 2 and its exclusive character on Switch. We got a look at Celeste, which is out next week. For Temporary those who are exclusive. Temporary exclusive, correct. Uh, and Celeste out next week. Mario and Rabbids, new Donkey Kong DLC, for those who are interested. Look, looks cool. But just kind of stopped there, which to me is a bit surprising because I feel like Nintendo could have highlighted a few more things. I know it's a mini, but they could have done a sizzle reel. Like the most glaring omission in the direct in my eyes was Scribble. Pocket Rumble. Oh, and yeah. Pocket oh, yeah, Rumble. Yeah. Well, first Pocket Rumble. Where is Pocket <laughs> Rumble? But no, yeah, Scribble Not Showdown. WB Games announced Scribble Not Showdown independently a few days after the direct, and I'm just like, why was this not in the direct? Here's a series that has roots on the Nintendo DS. It literally sells best on Nintendo hardware, and the entire hook of the new entry is local multiplayer. One of the best aspects of the Switch. I'd even go one step further and say that this version of Scribble Knots in particular is a perfect match for Switch's MO because it's literally a party game. What wires did not properly connect between WB and Nintendo for this to happen? Like, it's so weird. It's such a good fit and it just was well, missing. Maybe they're not on talking terms. No, they definitely are because it's coming to Switch. Someone had to get the, the cartridges, you know. It's complicated. Maybe, yeah, maybe it's just, comp- maybe it's just a... Maybe WB is currently seeing other people. Maybe it's an open relationship. But uh, yeah, what WB did show, it actually does look kind of fun showdown. So basically, you still have the core puzzle gameplay. Now it's set in a sandbox mode where you can also kind of just summon things at random and see how they interact. And there's levels to complete and whatnot. But the meat of the new Scribble Knots is in the showdown mode, which is comprised of two different minigame types. There's wordy minigames where it's come up with better words than your friends in various scenarios. And then they come to life and, I guess, duke it out or do whatever they need to do to win. And then there's speedy minigames where you focus on who can complete a task at hand first with whatever they choose to add to the situation, whatever they summon. And all this then plays out on a board game setup, and you get to design your own Scribblenaut character for the first time and accessorize them and kind of make your own like little avatar of the Scribblenaut dude or dudette. And then you go do this party game. And again, it sounds perfect for Switch in every conceivable way, which is why I don't know why Nintendo didn't even go... Hey, Scribblenauts, check it out. Especially because it's out March 6th. It's not even far away. It's literally in the window of dis- of games that Nintendo is discussing. It's so weird. It's a pretty big release, I would feel like. Like, Scribblenauts was a huge franchise for a while. I don't get it. Like, and it's just l- long enough that it could be nostalgia for younger players who are now teens. Like, I don't... I just don't get it. But And it, was- it wasn't just this. There are other games, like in the Japanese Direct. Why was there no mention of Nandai... Namco Bandai bringing over SD. Namco. Why, why, why did Nambla not bring over No, but there's no mention of SD Gundam in the Japanese Direct. Why? That seems like Nintendo's very happy with Namco. They make games for each other. Why is there no... It's really weird. Why is that not there? Or Level 5. Level 5, we literally predicted last episode Level 5 would have news for Switch. They did have news about Switch. It was a Switch version of the Snack World, their big new upcoming RPG. Or maybe it's already. They're already out, but their new property they're trying to really make into the next Yokai, make into the next Professor Layton. And yet, even that didn't make the cut in the Japanese Direct. Perhaps even weirder is small stuff like Super Meat Boy, which launched day and date with the Direct itself. Could have at least gotten a shout-out, yet nope, nothing. Although in Meat Boy's case, perhaps they didn't need the shout-out. I mean, it's still selling pretty well, right? It is selling nearly as good in its first day as what the original game's launch numbers were. Hmm. Like, the first day on Switch rivaled the debut, which that game had hype going into hmm. it. That's pretty impressive. Even with that soundtrack. Right, yeah, even with the worst soundtrack. But what's even weird about, weirder about that is they still have Super Meat Boy Forever coming out later. So you think Nintendo would, like, prime the pump, be like, get Meat Boy today and check out Forever down the road. But nope, not a single word. It's really weird. 
So if Nintendo wasn't giving any <laughs> just time... A, just a quick little side note. Yeah. Uh, I guess the other day I was watching a video on, I guess, the making of Super Meat Boy Forever mm-hmm. and how the main programmer, who's, um, I think his name is Bobby, but he was just like, oh... Bobby Moynihan of SNL? I didn't know he programmed. Anyway, sorry, continue. <laughs> uh, but essentially he was, <laughs> it's not Bobby. he was like, oh, we pretty much just start from scratch. We couldn't use anything from the original game because it was really old. We scrapped everything except for the new soundtrack because that new soundtrack is great. And that's just what it stuck over. And I'm like, oh, they can start from scratch on that too. That's pretty much it. Yeah, that's I, I did hear something about that. Like, hasn't it been in development like for five years in one way? One it form started off as a like an iOS game, right? And then endless runner, right? Yeah, I mean, it still is. But. And then something happened with Apple that they got into some kerfuffle because they put out some game that they made intentionally to piss off Apple, and then Apple took that game off, and some other thing happened. I don't know. Maybe oh, should, those crazy indies. Maybe I should look into that. It sounds like it could have been a potentially interesting story, but... Yeah. A documentary about it. Yeah, so like essentially, the, like, that kind of, yeah, took them off of it, and then at some point, Edmund McMillan, the guy... The well, other left. half... Yeah, the other half of Supreme Boy left and That's made what happened with game. the music, right? Like, when he left, the music went with him, basically, because then he owned parts of the rights or something. Uh, or was weird. the music a third person? No, I don't know. The, 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 the music is a weird situation because um, DB Soundworks did the music for the first Super Meat Boy and The Binding of Isaac, the okay. original ones. Right. And then at some point, I guess Edmund McMillan left, but then they used Ridiculon as another band for, I guess, the re-release of Super Meat Boy on PS4. And then ever since then, they've just reused Ridiculon for everything, even all of McMillan's games, like the remake of Binding of Isaac and The End of Night uses Ridiculon. Wait, so at first I was like, oh, obviously they just went with McMillan, but he's not even using them anymore? Did they just up and vanish? Yeah, so DB Soundworks, I don't know what happened to them. They just disappeared. Maybe this was a whole independent thing. Maybe. And I will say, though, like I love Ridiculon's music in Binding of Isaac Rebirth and Mm in The End of Night. Both of which available on Switch. Yeah, just not on... Super Meat Boy. The original right. is just better, I guess. Oh, yeah. It's kind of like you didn't have a comparison point for, say, End is Nigh. And I guess by of Isaac, they managed to match. Yeah, but, yeah both were great. Like, they're yeah. they're very different soundtracks, but you could tell they were going for different things. Right. But, and why, again, are none of these games in the direct? I don't know. <laughs> like, <laughs> but, um, anyway, yeah, that is I'm an re- interesting backstory. I, that's really weird. What were we talking about? Oh, I, the direct. <laughs> so I was, van- I was venting about Nintendo dropping the ball with third parties. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So the question becomes, if Nintendo didn't focus on third party, oh, what dropping did... the ball, tennis. I exactly. Think. What did they focus on? And the answer is tennis. No, it was, it was multiple things. But in terms of completely new surprises, really the only one that Nintendo sprung on us was Mario Tennis Aces for Switch. I'm actually pretty excited yeah, about this very one. very pleasant surprise. It actually looks like they... Are trying. They look like they took the criticism to heart about how little content Ultra Smash had, and Did are now. Camelot also make the last one. Camelot makes all of them, yeah. Huh. I but th- it's, I, th- I think I, that one was just a rush. Yeah, for for a second I thought like maybe they didn't work on that one, and that's why it no, was so terrible. I wish that was the answer, but no. Um, Camelot makes Ultra Smash. They're making this one. They took the criticism to heart. They're really like, oh man, people didn't like content. And, or the lack of content. And they <laughs> people were, didn't like content. <laughs> people didn't like content. We're just giving them an empty disc. No, and they uh, they're rewarding us. By giving us content, you right? What the, they are giving us tennis outfits for the first time. We can see Waluigi's hair, Wario's hair. It looks weird without a hat. I don't like it. But that's what they're giving us. Oh, and also a single player mode. But mostly the hair is what I'm concerned with. But no, it's, um, yeah, it's, it's kind of hard to tell how much of Ace's promised changes with a new full story mode and all that are marketing spin I mean, versus the, actual deeper things. Yeah, the story mode, I, could honestly care less about oh i'm super psyched about story mode it just looks a little like i just care that the that the multiplayer is there and 
based on just what it looked like. Well, you I mean, should, it look, it you like... should like Ultra Smash following that logic. <laughs> Mm, no. I know. I mean, well, here, here's my concern. Be- because the thing, like, Ultra Smash didn't even have, like, different courts besides, like, just standard tennis. So, so here's my concern. They say they have a full single player mode, story mode, right? And they say there's gonna be more content, they show the wispy hair. But yet, why is the one stadium they showed in the trailer, in the direct, literally Ultra Smash's trailer? Or not trailer, sorry, stadium. It's the Ultra Smash stadium. They just changed the lighting from day to night and they put giant screens on the floor. And then they're like, it's new. I also like that. I mean, I know they're just reusing assets, but I, I you do... would think they'd show off a different stadium at least. Uh, I mean, they showed a f- what could potentially be other stadiums. They did when, from when, single player. Yeah, from the single player. I'm sure those could just be redone to be yeah. regular. I'm just thinking some... But I, I did kind of... I don't know why I liked... I like the fact that it shows the names on your side of the oh, court. Oh, it's slick. It's, yeah. Like, they it's... did a great job up dating the stadium. Yeah, that, but that, it's... that's something that I didn't expect that like more than I did. It also just reminded me of the music stage from... Mario Kart Electrodome. Electrodome, yeah. They also had all the characters dress as whichever person they're rooting for, which is a nice touch. Like all the characters in the So they're just arms now? Is that what they're going to do going Basically, forward? Basically, probably. I mean, that's how real sports fans are. They wear jerseys that's and true. whatnot. That is true. But, but yeah, it's just like... I wouldn't know. Like, I don't... Nope. I feel like someone's Wii U PTSD was triggered when they're like, oh, I bought Ultra Smash and it had no content and then here's the stadium for Ultra Smash but now it's at night. But no, it, for me, I was fine with that. I didn't I mean, even notice I, it right Yeah, now. I was going to say, I didn't even notice because there was so many other I noticed, I just me. didn't care too much. But um, yeah, story mode, I'm hopeful it's interesting. I mean, it's the first one they've done since Game Boy Advance's Power, uh, Power Tennis. But Power Tennis was like a full-fledged RPG of sorts, kind of like Golf Story to give some perspective for you guys. And this looks more like a Mario Party board game where the mini games are replaced with tennis challenges. Tennis challenges that, to be fair, include some really cool court designs, some boss fights, you know, that that sort of thing. But it still seems a bit more linear than previously. It looks fun, and I'm glad they're not just giving us nothing. I'm glad they're putting meat on the bone with this Mario Tennis, but it's kind of like... You can't really be like, the first story mode since Power Tennis, and be like, except it's actually Mario Party, kind of. Like, mm, I don't, yeah, I don't even know. though I said I could care less about the story mode, just but I guess that's for a tennis game. I did really enjoy the single player mode in Mario Ultra Sluggers or Super Sluggers. How, so what was that one? I, I've never actually played Super Sluggers. That one was, yes. um, I guess, based on what I remember about the, the Game Boy Advance one, I guess it was more closely resembling that. You pretty much have an open world that you look at from a top-down oh, perspective. I do remember this. And yeah. you run around talking to people. They're like, oh, I'm in trouble. I need this or blah, blah, blah. Can you help me out? And then you help them out, and then they join your team, and you're just pretty much going around scouting people. You challenge the boss at their said stadium, and then you beat them, and then you go to the next world, and right. you go around just solving other people's problems. I love the concept of, the only way I solve my problem is baseball. I have a cat stuck in a tree. Can you play a baseball game for me and get it down? Sure. I don't know what one has to do with the other, but you got it. Yeah. I know that's like every sports RPG. Mario Tennis is no better. It's like you're in a tennis academy. You're actually a normal human in a Mario world. Oh, yeah, I remember. It, yeah, and it was really fun, but you're in a tennis academy. It's just like you're learning from the pros. Let Waluigi teach you like how to be lanky. I don't know, but it was it kind of made a little more sense than, man, I'm – I'm really down and out. Can you uh, just play some baseball with me? But I guess it's all the same in the end. But yeah, honestly, the thing that held back Ultra Smash for me more so than the lack of single player was probably the lack of creativity because it was one court. It had no like personality. And from what we've seen from Aces, it does look like creativity is at least back in full force. Whether or not you want a linear single player or not, it looks creative. Because beyond just story mode, Nintendo's been teasing these tweaks to the core uh, tennis mechanic 
And it sounds significantly more interesting it, than Ultra Smash. Yeah, the potential is really there. The other one just looked like... I mean, they literally showed everything the game had to offer in the trailer. I played the Ultra Smash. I didn't know this at the time, but when I played the Ultra Smash demo at E3 when it was first revealed, and I played it a lot because it was the only thing that didn't have a line, so I'm like, I'm just going to sit here for an hour. Like, I I was actually pretty good at it. Like, if they gave out trophies at E3, I'd have one. But, um, and then I sucked at it with the final release. Go figure. But I didn't realize playing that demo was playing the whole game. Like, who knew? I played the entire game just staying at E3. But, uh, yeah, it's the thing that bothered me most was Ultra Smash's gimmick was now you're playing tennis, but you're super big. It's like, okay. It has that a whole game. <laughs> it just makes point. your hit stronger. Like, yeah, it's oh, like, so you didn't really a, have to be big in order to do that. Yeah, it's just like Mega Mushrooms. Like, great. Okay. But what, what's nice about this one, about Aces, is all they've gone on record is saying. It's enough to already sound like more. Like, I'll just read the quote. Here's what they said. New wrinkles in tennis gameplay will challenge your ability to read an opponent's position and stroke to determine which shot will give you the advantage. So I don't know what that means, but there's also a funny little power gauge in the corner I mean, of the just the fact now. that it looks like you can knock out someone's racket from their hands. Yeah, the fact, or literally smash it in half, I yeah. think is what actually happened. But just that, plus the power meter, plus the single player, plus some of the stuff in single player, like that court that you fight PD Piranha on, where it's like, you know, the court's made out of stone and, and grass... And it has all those different Nintendo characters watching around it, like all the little Mario enemies and whatnot. Like, that just looked really cool. There's definitely, like, a creative spark that was missing from Ultra Smash. Yep. So whatever form Aces actually ends up taking in terms of how single player works, how what the new mechanics are, all that, we're going to find out pretty soon. It's due in the spring, but I am confident it will at least be better than Ultra Smash, and I'm, I'm actually really excited for it. It's, Which is not saying much, but... It's not yeah. saying much, but it's saying something. And, and well, also, I, let me rephrase. It doesn't take much to be better than Ultra Smash. It's a low bar. Yeah. It's a low bar. But all, it's also worth knowing that like Mario Tennis seems to be just another example of Nintendo. Basically on Switch, they're taking fan feedback and going, oh, that's what you want? Okay, we'll do that. Like Mario Odyssey. Oh, you want to go back to 64 and Sunshine? We could do that. Or Zelda, like, oh, you're tired of the same dungeon pattern? Okay, we can do that. And then Mario Tennis is like, oh, you want single player for the first time since 2003? I guess we can cater to you. So mm-hmm. it's it's kind of nice to see them actually like listening, and it's letting it's letting Switch have the best of every game, uh, the best of every series basically in all on one console, which is really cool. To that point, before we get Mario Tennis, we're also getting Kirby Star Allies on uh, March sixteenth. A little sooner than I thought. I would have guessed April or May, but oh man, I bet you're excited for that game. Actually, here's the weird thing. I am. I sort of am now. I told you. Like I don't I wasn't know. Being sarcastic. I know. I don't know what it was about the direct specifically. Maybe the visual. The, like there's a notable visual improvement between what they showed now and what they showed originally at E3. Maybe it was that. Maybe it's the introduction to abilities. Like you could be an artist and paint an enemy and shoot it into an enemy or the spider or whatever. Something about it. They're going from really not caring about the game to suddenly being really into it. Because I, I don't know. Like. When it was first shown, I think both of us were kind of like, meh, it's standard Kirby, but with multiplayer, right? Like, that was kind of the consensus. I still kind of feel that way. I do too, but like... I mean, no, I, no new abilities can really change that. But there's the, the co-op thing's kind of neat. Cause it's I, it been there, done that. Well, the not in the same way, has it? Have they done the combining things with other that players? Is, all right, I'll give you that. That is pretty interesting, but... Yeah. If, before... But, but even then, like... It's still not that different than just combining other abilities, like with yeah. N64 or... That's true, but I think I think... What kind of caught my eye? Well, it's twofold. One is that new... They're calling them friend abilities. And how it works is if I have... Like what they showed in the trailer. I have uh, ice. You have wind. You blow your wind at my ice. And then we literally send a small blizzard at enemies. So it's kind of like a combo system. But it's a team-based combo system. Which is kind of neat. But I think when we first saw the game, it was very much... 
like New Super Mario Brothers Wii or something like that, where it's like, oh, it's like the single player game, but there's four of you. Have fun. But this like actually looks like they might build mechanics around the team up thing. I don't know. Potentially it's cool. But I also kind of realized I have not played a traditional Kirby game in a very long time. Since like GameCube or Wii. So with this subconscious brainwashing I now have that switch. Wait, to... didn't you play Robobot? No, I don't own Robobot. Huh, could have thrown you played it. Nope. But um maybe the demo. But the only Kirby game Didn't games... you talk about it on the podcast? Did I? I'm pretty sure you were the one that talked about it. You know what? Maybe it. I think. Maybe pretty I sure did. you did buy it. I'm pretty sure you did buy I, it. Wow, that made an impact on me. Clearly, I'm like. 99- but that's not even a real traditional Kirby game because it has the whole robot extra piece. I'm that, talking like that's like every other level though. Yeah, like, I know. It's it's definitely that's a core. Trying it, to excuse it, it, the fact it, it, that I forgot. It's I a core robot. Kirby game, but I don't know. That's the thing. Like in the end, I mean, the doesn't even matter. Because Lincoln Park. Because <laughs> I mean, like you said, like, like it has that whole robot thing, but even with that whole mechanic that really does change how Kirby controls and how the powers I completely it. forgot it was, I played that game. You still forgot about it because it was still just another run-of-the-mill Kirby game. Well, not that they're bad because well, they're definitely not bad at so all. So my they're point all well that I haven't played one in a long time apparently isn't a valid one. I can't believe I forgot Robobot. No, it's... it's, it's That's it's, right, and I even called it Robobobobobobobot. Exactly, right. yeah. Man. Now you can this say, is embarrassing. Well, no, but um, if anything, that works more to your favor because now you're saying like it feels like you haven't played a current in a long time because yeah, they've all been basically go. the same. But no, what I was gonna say is maybe it's the subconscious brainwashing. Like I was talking about with Martinez, how it's cool that you know Nintendo's gonna be bringing the best of every franchise. How could I forget that you said Robo blah, 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 blah. I forgot. But anyway, I know exactly. <laughs> I know, I know. It's embarrassing. It's so. But anyway, um, what I was gonna say is there's kind of this weird subconscious like, oh, the Switch has the best of every franchise because they've proven it a few times over. So I feel like at some level, I'm like, oh, well, this has to be a good Kirby. I mean, it has to be. That's how the Switch works. So, I don't know. We'll see. But I'm, I'm, I'm more on board with it than I was before. And apparently, Robo Bobo Bot made zero impression in my life. <laughs> so hopefully, Star Allies makes at least a little impression in my life. But maybe part of it's also there's not much else around it. I mean, there's ports, but there's not much first party stuff around it. So maybe that's just like, well, it's not, you know, if you if you're in the if you're in a desert long enough and you see a it's very tiny oasis. You'll take it over the bigger oasis you expected to see, <laughs> or something. I don't know. Well, you'll kind of have to. Yeah, that's my point. So I have to buy Kirby. I'm literally gun to my head. No, I don't know. But it's it's weird that yeah, I don't know why I'm into it. I'm just suddenly I was watching it. Like I watched it a couple times over. I'm just like, okay, this looks mm-hmm. good. You're just like, I really want to buy a game. No, I want. You know <laughs> what? I wonder how much of it is just traditional Kirby art in HD. Because I've never that I've never had. Robobot was 3DS. I've never played an HD normal Kirby. I've played. Oh yeah, there was the 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 clay. I played Rainbow Curse. Yeah, there was the Rainbow Curse. But I've never seen real traditional Kirby in HD, and maybe it was the art style that got me. That's why I felt so like fresh, even though I just played Robobot. I don't know. Smash Bros. Wii U was a pretty good Kirby game. It was. Yeah. Yeah. But so you're you're not getting Star Allies. No. But that works out because I can bring over my copy and we can do we can be Star Allies together. Oh God. But you know you know what's weird though. I will say, it was odd because in tight, it was odd to Thank see you. Kirby show up in a direct without Yoshi because those two games have been paired together ever since their first announced at E3 and every time since. And you know Kirby, Kirby obviously showed up in this direct, but Yoshi for Switch was nowhere to be found, and it makes me kind of wonder if a game with a cardboard cutout stag up and disappears right around the time that Nintendo announces Toy Cons and Nintendo Labo. Could there be some sort of synergy possibly happening here? Is that why it up and disappeared? Is something is something brewing? Like to to be clear, 
I don't think Yoshi's going full Labo on us, which, by the way, going full, you never want to go full, full Labo. But, uh, but I think something's up. Like, for one thing, the, the re, first, first, actually, I take that back. Here's why I don't think it's going full Labo. Uh, if you look at Labo in its current form, there is a very noticeable separation of branding going on with Labo versus with Switch games. Like, if you look at the game packaging that Labo comes in, like, if you look at the pictures of the kits, it shows the game. Okay. And the, the, the kit, or the game, sorry, does not have any standard Switch branding or any of the standard box template. There's no logo on the top left that says Switch. This, there's no red spine on the box. It's a black spine. It doesn't say Switch anywhere on it. It's just Labo. And obviously it works on Switch, but it seems like they have clearly separated traditional games, like quote-unquote traditional games, like a side-scrolling Yoshi, for example, from what they consider a Labo experience, like the robot game or the minigame collection of Variety Pack or whatever it may be. So I don't think a side-scrolling Yoshi is suddenly going to morph into a Labo-only experience. That seems a little crazy. But what I could see happening is once Labo's out and kind of established and you have a game that matches its aesthetic as well as Yoshi... There could be down the line some sort of, say, Labo-enhanced games for normal Switch releases. Like maybe it comes with special side modes or mini-games that tie into an either existing Toy-Con or there might be like a Yoshi plus Toy-Con pack where you get the standard game plus a special Toy-Con at the special thing. There has to be a the giant game, Yoshi Toy-Con. Right? Like, I feel like that's... That's what I'm saying. Yeah. So, like, at the very least, even Especially if they don't with do the it, aesthetic change because it went from yarn to papercraft. To, yeah. Like, and I think, which is... Perfect for Labo. Not even papercraft, specifically cardboard. Well, yeah. This pa- is, well, yeah. I mean, what I mean, I mean that, I know, I know. That's but, what papercraft is. Like paper Mario. It's like full on. Well, no, I mean, papercraft yeah. is like with Little Big Planet. It's all found material. Fair, very fair. Yeah, and and to that point, I could see Paper Mario doing something similar down the line when it comes to Switch. It's some sort of like again. I don't know if it's gonna. I don't think they're ever gonna require a traditional Nintendo game to use Labo, but I could see them enhancing traditional Nintendo games with Labo. And I think Yoshi would be a good guinea pig. At the very least, I guarantee you that if Yoshi resurfaces without Labo, you're going to be playing the game and, oh, look, this world is also the Labo house. How random. Look at that little tiny. Do you think people will also be upset that, like, oh, there's content gated off by Labo? Quote, unquote. No, because I think think unlike Amiibo, you actually need to use the Labo. No, yeah. (laughs) yeah. I mean, it's all the way that it's all about how they present it. Yeah. I mean, because, yeah, whatever form it takes, it's just too good of an opportunity to not have a game with cardboard-themed worlds connect back to Labo in some shape or form. So maybe that's why Yoshi's suddenly up and vanished. Like, I don't think they are now first building it in because, you know, I have my whole theory that Labo's been in development since the Switch has been in development. But I suspect that they want to give Labo some room to breathe as its own unique thing before they try and rope in traditional games. That's why it's branded separately. And then ultimately, Yoshi could very well be the first game that's Labo-enhanced or Labo compatible or Labo extras or whatever they end up calling it. So that's where I think Yoshi went. And I also think a cardboard Yoshi would be amazing. I totally build one. Just, just putting that out there. But in the meantime, while we don't have Yoshi, we are getting something else. Ports. Lots and lots of ports. Well, not lots, but a good number of ports. Like, I don't know how we did. <laughs> Realistically, I don't understand how we did a whole episode of predictions last episode and never once thought about Wii U ports coming to Switch. We never said any theories we never suspected well, it was a thing didn't we always suspect i mean i feel like we talked about it was inevitable when, that almost every game is going to get ported over that can yeah no it over. was but we just did it i just find out we did a whole episode like well, what could happen in 2018 what could happen to direct and we ran through everything except ports oh. even we even talked it goes about bayonetta but we didn't bring up ports it goes without saying. i guess it does so 
So, I mean, Bayonetta, like, kind of went with the whole Bayonetta 3 announcement. Yeah, so that makes sense. I mean, Pokemon Tournament seemed like it was like, oh, of course it's going to come over. Mario Kart makes I sense mean, as well. I mean, Smash Brothers is inevitable. Probably. Yeah. They might just do a new one. It's, it's kind of... That one's hard to read at this it point. It hasn't been long enough for them to do a new one, and the and the newest one is still very much, like, yeah. a growing tournament game. That's true, especially now that uh, Nintendo's I'm, I'm pretty not sure just it, Evo, but also Genesis. I'm, I think they're sponsoring Genesis this weekend, yeah, right they now, are, as yeah. we're filming this. They're definitely, ju- they're definitely just going to do, like, an upgraded port of it. I still think it's going to be, or at least hope it's just all the content from Complete 3DS edition. and the Wii U, and just throwing, like, two or three new characters and stages, and that's it. Smash Bros. Deluxe, yeah. yeah. But in the meantime, what we do know we're getting, not, uh, you know, not uh, Smash, is Hyrule Warriors and uh, Donkey Kong Tropical Freeze and Donkey Kong Country Tropical Freeze. And, I mean, it's understandable why we're getting these. Wait, we're getting both? We're getting Hyrule Warriors Definitive Edition and we're getting Donkey Kong Country Tropical Freeze. Oh, as you said, Donkey Kong Country no, and Donkey no, Kong no, Country no. Tropical Freeze. I said, Freeze. uh, Donkey Kong Country Tropical because I forgot Country. Oh. That was, that could have been bad. I could have misinformed all five of them. That's like, oh, we're getting both Donkey Kong games? <laughs> no, we're just getting the one. I, we should get both. I think that would have been smarter, like a two-pack, but whatever. But it makes sense we're getting anything. We're going to have it on 3DS. Yeah, that's true. Uh, but it makes sense that we're getting it at all. Because, like, fact is, this is no, no new assessment, but just to kind of frame everything a bit. Wii U had very limited reach in terms of, you know, how many people were in its install base and how much a game could sell. So to give them a second life on Switch not only allows for some development costs to be recouped from some easy extra profit... It also very nicely pads out the lineup for the majority of Switch owners. Like for us, and probably for a good chunk of listeners, something like Hyrule Warriors Definitive Edition may not seem particularly worthwhile or interesting. Game's been out on Wii U and 3DS already. We got the similar Fire Emblem Warriors not even that long ago. But that's okay, because while you and I dig through our backlogs and all the fans and buy new Nindies and buy new third-party titles and buy Kirby and buy Mario Tennis, imagine being someone whose first Nintendo system is, in a very long time if ever, the Switch. You love Breath of the Wild. You want a bit more Zelda in your life. Here comes Hyrule Warriors, complete with not just all the DLC already released, but also, what a nice tie into your Breath of the Wild love. Here's Link and Zelda's outfits from Breath of the Wild, now in Hyrule Warriors. It's just such an obvious move on Nintendo's part. I mean, over 55% of Switch owners didn't have... uh, Well, I don't know if that's true. Over 55% of Switch owners own Breath of the Wild. I'm going to say they didn't have a Wii U. Um, (laughs) They own Breath of the Wild. So that means that they're is a market of at least a few million people who probably didn't have a Wii U, is what I was trying to say, uh, who love Zelda and who can now be convinced to get this spinoff that they've already released two times over. So like, even if you bought a Wii U, you may still find it appealing if you want all the DLC, all the stuff from the 3DS version that's now being HDified for the first time. Like it's, you know, there's like now mid-battle ca- uh, character switching, there's exclusive characters like um, Skull Kid, there's a lot of stuff that you may have been a fan on Wii U, didn't touch the 3DS version because it ran pretty badly unless you had a new 3DS, and now you're like, hey, here's my chance to actually get the portable higher Warriors I always wanted. So there, there's very, very many opportunities. And then for people like us, so we just don't buy it. So what? It's not taking away development resources. Didn't you get one of them? I have the Wii U one. Oh. I like it. I did not <laughs> like Fire Emblem Warriors as much, to be honest. I don't own it, but I played it at E3. And I feel like, weirdly, from the demo... Really, think like people liked it a lot. People like it a lot, but something about I kind of like the simplicity of, of Hyrule Warriors. Like Fire Emblem grafted on a lot of the Fire Emblem traits, which works great if you're a Fire Emblem fan. Fire Emblem fan, like you know, there's but aren't the character system and you bought in every Fire Emblem. I, yes, yeah, hang on, <laughs> I'm getting there. It works great if you're like coming into the series because it's Fire Emblem. 
I'm a simple man. I, I'm a simple. No, seriously, I'm a simple man. Like I don't need the stuff grafted. I don't on. need to know to press these two buttons I, to attack. I did, and and even then, I for, I didn't have <laughs> shield when we demoed it with Nintendo. Oh man, that's that, was, that was embarrassing. No one told me, or not shield, Z target. No one told me Z targeting was in Hyrule Warriors, and I mean, I'm here thinking it's a warrior game where there's it was no indicated Z in the corner. But... I didn't look at the corner. I looked at the other 98 percent of the screen. <laughs> yeah. But yes, I was at that Comic Con. The only person the entire week of Comic Con that didn't know about the Z button, according to the entire rep. Yeah. And then he recognized me at a later event. Like, oh, you're the dude who didn't know the Z button. I'm like, yep, that's me. <laughs> so, yeah, it was, it was, it was a momentous, um, a very memorable occasion in my life, and not in a good way. No, but uh, my point is, like, Fire Emblem Warriors does a lot of Fire Emblem-y things, and I kind of like how Hyrule Warriors is just pure, like, button mash warrior game. So, teach them. But my point is, Hyrule Warriors is going to appeal to a lot of people in a definitive form on Switch, where they haven't had a game like this or want more Zelda without a full new Zelda need to be developed makes total sense. Honestly, Donkey Kong Country Tropical Freeze is perhaps an even better example of the whole situation of like gang, you know, appealing to people that didn't have a Wii U. Because uh, what Nintendo's shown in the past, as you mentioned, Donkey Kong Country Returns was also on 3DS. That version of Donkey Kong Country Returns sold over a million copies. That came out like two or three years, four years after the Wii one and sold a million copies. So if you take something like Tropical Freeze... Hey, man, it was at uh, Marketing at the Zoo. I know. That was great, I hadn't, by the way. I hadn't gone to the zoo in, like, but yeah, that was, a long time. That was great. We, a, we, for those who have no idea what we're talking about, we do have an extra up on the site from years ago. But essentially, Nintendo took over the LA Zoo. Not took over. They put a little demo station. <laughs> <laughs> by take over, I mean they put a tent that was maybe 10 by 10 with four demos. We were hostages. Tent. We were hostages. They, they yeah, Dog Cut just busted through a wall with a coconut gun. It fires in spurts, and it hurt us. Anyway, but uh, someone's going to be like, ha, huh, DK rap. But uh, yeah, they had a little tent. They had the game demoing there. They had a guy in Donkey Kong suit. And now you could just, you know, walk over to the gorilla exhibit and see real gorillas. Or take pictures of Donkey Kong. Or do both, which is what I did. Or do or try and do a vine where you keep switching between them. And it just doesn't work because there's a little kid in the background making noises, which also happened to me. But yeah, it, it went on some million. It proved... What do you sound like? You're disappointed. No, I'm not. I, I'm trying to read. It went on to it, sell it sold, a million. Ah, Dunk sold a million. No, but it, it went on to sell a million. And if you then look at something like Tropical Freeze, which seriously underperformed on Wii U, and you can now unleash that on 10 million potential customers, even if, say, a million bought it on Wii U, that is still 9 million people who probably are going to want it and never had before. Because it's a very good game. It's a very lengthy game. It is a full big release like triple a highly reviewed game. critically acclaimed game we loved it when it came out and it got rid of the one thing we hated which was the gamepad literally being a black screen now there's no gamepad problem solved but uh yeah it just it makes so much sense to put on switch and i suspect the fact that it underperformed so much on wii u and there's so much more opportunity on switch is why we're not getting a definitive edition or a deluxe edition or anything like that it doesn't really need it. Yeah, it has a lot of content. Yeah, it has a lot of content. It wasn't experienced by very many people. There's no DLC. So they could just re-release the exact same game. In fact, I'd argue that adding the already meme-tastic new Funky mode, uh, where he plays Funky Kong, that's going above and beyond what they needed to do. They literally, like, Returns on 3DS was literally nothing new. In fact, it was like a downscale of the Wii well, on, on, on 3DS, they added um, eight levels. Like a whole did new, they? Yeah, they oh, did. but that was at the very... Oh, well, okay. So I guess this is something... So if it was about. the same game... Except they added eight. At the very end. Yeah, the, yeah, yeah, you're right. I remember that now. But, okay. So I take back. I was going to say, they did nothing on 3DS and it did fine. But I guess they did something. So no, I guess Funky Kong's somewhat compatible. I was kind of torn. Like, oh, do I get it because of new levels? But I'm like, no. We already 100%ed it. It's not worth. But, but you know. That, going back to the barrel. 
Ah, cause 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 Donkey Kong barrel. Yeah, yes, I, yes, I get it. Yes. But yeah, um, yeah, about that Funky Kong mode. Can we can we talk about that for a minute? I think it's really clever. It looks fun. Like, Funky Kong honestly looks very fun to so play. So here's as. the thing: it's essentially replacing the old Super Guide concept that Nintendo toyed with during the late Wii and Wii U days. Well, I mean, it doesn't seem like it's replacing it. No, as it, much as it just is it. That's why I mean. Right, that's what that's what I'm saying. Instead, because what used to be, hear me out. What Super Guide used to be, okay, in Tropical Freeze originally it was a white Donkey Kong, and you could walk through spikes, and you couldn't get damage, and you could just do whatever. Oh, never mind. You're thinking of something else. No, I was thinking of the right thing, uh-huh. but I forgot that there were two versions of the Super Guide thing. There was the there was the one that they used in Super Mario 3D World and Super Mario 3D Land where if you die enough times, they just you could get the golden tanuki suit and you're more invincible. You can still die, yeah, but it's going to be really hard to do so. Kind of like Funky Kong. You could still fall into pits and die. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I remember the Super Guide was where the game played for you. Like yeah, the game no. literally, so this is Super Guide. Uh, yeah, I guess it's system yeah, the, 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 what we're the, thinking Yeah, of. the game literally played itself. Yeah, Super Guide, Super Guide was in Mario Wii. Yeah, Mario I know. Wii and it played itself and then didn't Donkey Kong also play itself it was like a white Donkey Kong that just played itself no I think you could control it it was just invincible Rega- okay regardless of what form Donkey Kong took regardless of what form <laughs> Tanuki Gold Tanuki took in Mario the point I'm trying to make is for a period there Nintendo did this thing where you're like oh do you need an easy mode here's a very blatantly in your face easy mode and what's neat about Funky Kong is he is the easy mode but they kind of removed any, stig- like, any stigma against having to use an easy mode you know what I mean? Like, it used to be like, oh, I, I'm bad at games. I guess I'll do this. But now it's like, no, no, no. It's not that you're bad. It's just you go, you're playing a character who's too cool and too funky to die. Like, it's like for a kid or something that this may be a difficult game. That's appealing. More appealing than just like you need easy mode. So it's kind of like it's like a more inclusive, fuzzy, happy-go-lucky way of saying here's an easy mode. And I think that's a really, I think that's really smart Nintendo. But I think As the inclusion a, of Funky Kong will give you the courage to play I'm not game? rebuying this. <laughs> There's not enough there but, for but me. You'll, but you'll get farther now with Funky. That's true. But I don't need an easy mode. See, I'm, there's my own point there, <laughs> uh, going against. But no, seriously, I think it's uh, really neat. Country Tropical Freeze was a pretty hard game. Yeah, it gets really hard. I just, I just think it's neat that they're being inclusive like this. Because you know, if they're trying to reach out to kids with stuff like Labo, you probably want to give them an. <laughs> it sounds option. like a disease. <laughs> it really does. You know, kids the la- kids no, actually, from Labo need Funky Kong for the lack to, of to, to get through the pain. Yeah. But no, actually Labo, I didn't realize this. Labo is actually a pretty common phrase in Japanese that they use to mean like a uh, workshop or studio or something like that. Like you, it, it's a lot. I saw it over there, but I didn't make a mental note of it. But I was reading an article, I think it's from some localization website, Legends of Localization or something like that. And they're basically like, yeah, Labo is really common. Like I thought they were calling it Labo because it's like Nintendo Labo. It rhymes. It sounds like Amiibo a little, but it's a Nintendo Lab. But no, in like Japanese, it's a very common thing to mean a workshop or a studio where you build your own stuff and that's what they're doing here so go figure so it's not a disease is my point but yeah i, I just like the idea of funky kong that's all i was trying to get at but um it, it's i can see nintendo going forward doing more like funky kong and less super guide and less assist mode and less very in your face like oh you died seven times here's the cheat button <laughs> which is kind of how they handled it before so we'll see this does, however, bring us to the final bucket of Nintendo Direct news, which is DLC. You already mentioned Pokémon Tournaments getting some stuff. They're going to have new characters, including a very fuzzy-looking Mimikyu. Um, they're going to be part of a battle pack. You pay up front once, you get two waves. That's that. But the one we're talking about, I hope there's about, more. I mean, not that they've only announced three of the six. Are they splitting it? No, three they, they, total? it's just two characters. But there's two waves. Well, so that, that was makes, it. Wait, so one wave is one character, and one wave is the other. Yeah, just call it two characters. It is two characters. 
it, it's one character and an assist pack, which is two oh, right. Pokemon that, no, 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 that, that, that you're forced to pick together. So the first one is Aegislash and two legendaries. Oh, that's where I'm getting thrown off. Is yeah, Mi- yeah. Well, no, it's Mimikyu and Mega Rayquaza. Yeah. And those two, they're just assists. Like, you can't mix and match your assists. You have to get them, you have to use them in that pair. So Mimikyu right. and Mega Rayquaza are forever stuck together. But Mimikyu looks really fuzzy and cute. And... It just has a really cool, interesting choice. And then Blastoise is the other one, and he comes with Mew and Celebi. That's right. Okay. And that was it. I may have slightly was, glossed over it. I was kind of hoping stuff. they'd review more or announce more. Kind of how, like, Street Fighters is like, all right, here's the next season of DLC characters. We're only going to reveal one right now, but there are six coming. How much are they testing silhouettes. the waters? And if these do well, they'll start doing more like Because, I mean, that's all I'm waiting for for Pokémon to get me to get back in it. Like, they have Weavile. Yeah. They just need... At least one more Pokemon that I really, really, really love. Make it a Pinsir. Make it a Chatotter. I don't know. There's a there's a lot they could go with. There's 628, in fact. There's or like, 650. There's almost 800 at this point. I'm still in the black and white generation, apparently. But yeah, um, Sun and Moon, Ultra Sun and I Ultra forgot, Moon. I completely forgot Sun and Moon even added more Pokemon. Yeah, they added at least, yeah, they definitely at least 10. Yeah. But ten, at least, <laughs> at least, guys, they add at least double digits, like not nine, <laughs> at least ten. I don't know, it might be twenty. I don't know. Yeah, it's well, they had all the new forms. That's what there's like the, the low end the, forms. There's a lot of new Ultra Beasts that right. came out in the new one. I I suspect they're testing the waters with Pokin, and if the waves, if this one purchase double wave situation does well, I could see them doing more. Because I mean, they're not, you know, they're also sort of testing if it's an esport even. Like they're putting it in tournaments and seeing how it does. So if that does well, and if this DLC does well, that shows there's an interest, and that shows yeah, the, the, the king, into what you want. The thing that kind of somewhat bothers me about the payment is that, like, I'm, I'm a, uh, essentially at this point, I've been trained to acknowledge that characters, individual characters, cost about five ninety nine in fighting games. Sure, like DLC characters, Street Fighter, blah blah blah. They always sell them for about five ninety nine. But in Pokken, they're selling you, I guess, Blastoise with Mew and Celebi as their own assistings, and they're selling you Aegislash, the sword, with Mega Rayquaza and Mimikyu. But those assists, I feel like they should be sold separately. I mean, they shouldn't be forced on you, because, I mean, that's kind of make that's making a seven ninety nine as opposed to five ninety nine. I wonder, yeah, I wonder how much because of that is I, them, like, how do we price assists? That's like pricing items in Smash Bros, almost. Like, how do you... Yeah, that you may not even... How do you do that? That you may not even ever use, because you, since you pick which assist pair you like, maybe there's already one that you feel like, nope, this is the perfect one. I already yeah, figured I, out how to combo with this one. I can't see them selling them independently. No, I know. Well, they're, they're definitely not at this point, because I don't think they would sell otherwise. Yeah, that's, that's what I'm getting at. Yeah. But, yeah, I don't know. It's interesting. I mean, time, like I said, I think this is them testing the waters. So in due time, we either this is going to go great and Pokemon's going to become a whole thing and they're going to actually do the kind of, I almost want to say seasons, like you were describing a Street Fighter. But, you know, I think they don't know what Pokemon is yet. They kind of want to be a fighter, but they also originally kind of wanted to be more of just like a casual, like beginner's fighter. But now they're trying to make it an eSport, but you can't really be... But, like, they're, they're I don't know. Dabbling. I mean, Pokemon is weird. It's like That's very I'm simplistic, it's very but it, it's very simplistic, but it's also very deep. Maybe just as deep as any other fighter, which is good. Yeah, <laughs> it has the potential. I feel like they just need to. Me personally, I would say they just have to embrace the team battle part. Mm-hmm. Like, make it a three. I guess like any other team fighter right now, right. just make it a three v three. You pick three Pokemon. They pick three Pokemon. Because I just love the idea of like you're. You have to. Sp- strategize like all right you know which three they picked which one do you send out first because right. it's, it's just like regular pokemon like oh i have to counter the one they send out first but then they counter with your counter and then when they kill your pokemon 
you have to send one now, so now you can directly counter them, and then blah, blah, blah. I wonder if that's... And then you have your anchor, and blah, blah, blah. I don't know, it just sounds... I just love that idea. I wonder if that's why... I wonder if they're moving that way, because, you know, like, they just add... They put Bow Mode online, or Yeah, they just... The yeah, I think they recently finally made it. Yeah, so it's kind of like... I'm still not, like, 100% sure that's the case, but it sounds like that's it. So it's kind of like they seem to be... It seems like what they did. I'm they this, were, you can't see my fingers, but I'm like barely touching them. Like I'm he's a close. centimeter away from buying it. Guys. Yeah, I'm this close a to centimeter. buying it. Yeah. If you put the game in front of his face, he will most likely buy it because that. Maybe a good discount yeah. is all they'll take. It has not gone on. So. But what I was saying is kind of saying about Pokemon is like if you look at the trajectory of this game as it was released till now, it started. They pitched it as like, what if it was Tekken but easy to understand? Like, what if it was an, a beginner's fighting game? And now they're well, really because they were like, what if it's Tekken and Street Fighter, but you're playing each like first you're playing Street oh, Fighter. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh no, now you're playing Tekken. Oh, oh now you're playing Street oh, Fighter. Oh, yeah. Wait, but, but which moves trigger it? Oh, but but the idea of like it was a very simple rock paper scissors, and you're right. Yeah, two D three D. It's really weird how it's, weird. it's both. It's like three games in one. I don't know. Yeah. But, but they definitely marketed it. Like I remember, it's very them saying, unique. Like yeah. there is definitely no other fighting game like it. So I say I remember them saying in interviews very clear, like, "Oh, it's it's like if you don't know how playing fighting game, this is the one to play because it, it's like it's very simple. Can't, you'll get it. Like it, yeah." And then ever since then, they've slowly pivoted. Like, "Oh wait, this could be an esport. Oh, hold on, let's make this an esport." And then they did like, the versus thing, and now they have waves of characters. And yeah, they're I mean, definitely on the fly, turning it into more of a competitive fighting game, which I mean, is interesting. But that's probably why you don't see your season. I mean, I don't know if I'll ever get back into levels of Evo or go back on those circuits but at least for now it looks like pokemon is determined to keep it in their own in the world championship yeah in their own world championships and on all their tournament circuits which is great because i mean pokemon doesn't really need it to be in any other circuit their circuits are they're like the capcom cup they literally do that so yeah that's all they really need nintendo could learn really from pokemon all they all they need is just increase their own numbers i mean they obviously get enough pokemon um pokemon video game entries and yeah yeah Hopefully it goes up. Rumor is we might get the next Pokemon this year or early next year on Switch. Just I hope not. Out there. I hope not too. They need to like, spend time really. Soon. I agree. But in the meantime. Especially not the same year as Smash Brothers. It's like do they well, really? Well, hold on. Hold on. Smash is not a thing this year yet. Hold obviously. your horses. Hold your horses. Is. is it? Yeah. Is it? Yeah. I don't know. It is. I don't know. Yeah. It took two years for it to arrive on um, Wii. After Wii came out, it took two years for it to arrive on Wii U. After Wii U came out, and then I, the Wii U just died know. out of nowhere, and now they're just going to port over. But the I don't, I don't know if it's going to be that quick. They have Metroid, presumably. They have potentially they want, Pokemon. They, they have potentially Animal Crossing. This is literally their easiest way to improve the Smash Brothers fighting theme. There are more Switches out there. More people will be exposed to Smash Brothers now because everyone knows. Everyone plays. Everyone watches Smash but Brothers. Is there, they air is there an issue? Like, if you want to go the whole they're expanding the footprint Not only that, argument, but, is there an but issue? People already play with GameCube controllers. They don't even have to change that. Well, they need to make it work. Well, I guess it Wait, does it work. It, already it does, does work. work. You're right. I guess they... Okay, what I'm going to say is if they're doing the whole footprint expansion thing, which we know they're doing, they said they're doing, and they went Core Gamer last year, Casual Gamer this year, plus continued stuff for well, Core, the does core, the yeah. eSport bubble that you're describing, like the, the Smash competitive scene that you're describing, does that just... Can that be phase three? Is that another wave to sell the Switch to? Another group to sell the Switch to? Because right uh, now, Wii U's sustaining itself in the tournament scene. Like, it's there. No one's not playing Smash because it's on Wii U. It's not hurting Exactly, it. but it could, it could, it could be helping it. it. Right, yeah. that's what I'm saying. It'll only so, help it. That's what I'm saying. So if right now they're already like, we can do this, this, and this. Because they, came on, they have to play the long game I mean, here. Smash Bros. is one of the most signed up for games in any other tournament. It's yeah. only beaten by Street Fighter. 
Right, which right. Is crazy. No, and and they also melee. Although that won't ever jump to Switch, but you know what I mean. But um, no, okay. I'm just thinking. I really like, they don't give us some HD. I'm, I'm just thinking if Nintendo is meticulously like if they wait a year to do Labo because they want it to be like okay, Phase One is core, Phase Two is casual, Phase Three is the. I don't even think they're even thinking of it in phases for Smash Brothers. It's more like they released. They had Mario and Zelda last year. Oh no no they're, no, they're not. They're not. Yeah, maybe. I'm just thinking. Maybe you might be right. Or maybe Metroid Prime is in for two years and then Smash comes in in between. I don't know. But I'm just thinking if I was Nintendo and I'm trying to appeal to another audience, do I do it now when I'm already making money off one audience or do I wait till there's a t- potential for the Switch sales to go down and then boost them back up by caring to Smash people, thus keeping my stock price at the same level because it doesn't look like there's a slump because I strategically paced it. It could go either way. I don't even know what their core games are this year. None of us do outside of Fire Emblem and maybe Animal Crossing and maybe Pokemon and maybe Metroid. I mean, be out in so October. Smash could fill it. Oh, you right think so? Yeah. Do you want to bet on this? No. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, we'll see. Time will tell. Um, until then, we could go find some balloons in Mario Odyssey, I guess. That's a thing. Yeah. Yeah, so so the other DLC announcement worth mentioning. I don't think it's worth I mentioning. I actually like it. I, I'm really Hold disappointed. Hold on. Okay, let's back up. Like us explain. Luigi. Well, okay, first of all, yeah, I feel bad for Luigi. So for those who don't know what we're talking about, if you somehow missed the direct, next month, Odyssey is receiving a free update called Balloon World. Well, it's not at all what I think people want it to be or expected. It's not a new kingdom. It's not multiple well, the new kingdoms. Balloon World itself is fine. It's kind of, I do kind of like it for what it is. I mean, I like it for what it is. Like, okay, so you have an issue with Luigi. Yeah, I mean, my, Please. Only, my only thing was like, like the last four, wait, one, two, three, that's three or four 3D Mario games, which is called 3D Mario games, um, allowed you to use Luigi, either as playable from the beginning or... As an unlockable thing at the end, like both galaxies. Like, you got to right. replay the entire game as Luigi. With his jump. Yeah, with his crazy jump. So, even though you were playing through the exact same game, it felt... Different. Yeah, pretty different and sometimes harder because of his slippery his slippery physics and his awkwardly high jump. So, I was kind of hoping, like, alright, maybe they'll do that for Odyssey. They don't have to do literally anything. Just pro- just reprogram Mario's physics and you got as Luigi. Luigi. Instead, but now he's just a NPC. But, well, okay, two things. One... There's nothing stopping them in the future from having Luigi become the playable character and Mario become the guy with balloons on his back. They could flip it. That's true. I'm just saying. There were still NPC Luigis in the Luigi runs you would do as Luigi. There you go. But no, here's my issue with Luigi. So first, all he does now in Mario Odyssey is he wears a cool little green bow tie. I actually love his bow tie. Um, He wears what looks like a band's equipment box on his back, like as well as big black box with the metal trim, and he has three balloons. And you go to him, and you can play the Balloon World Challenge, which we'll get to in a sec. But poor Luigi. It's like Nintendo did the year of Luigi, and was like, well, that's enough for him. And then just kind of treated him horribly ever since. Like, Mario flies around in a spaceship that looks like a hat. He collects items in every kingdom. He gets a girl at the end. Luigi is forced, in this same world, to hover around with three balloons and a big, bulky, not even backpack strapped to his back. Just a box strapped to his back. And, and all they give him is a bow tie. You they you wonder why Louis, why uh, Luigi's self confidence is so low in every game he's ever in? It's probably because Nintendo treats him like this. You can't just be like you're Luigi and now you suck again. Like no, no, Luigi deserves much better than that. But that said, I think Balloon World itself is actually a kind of cool thing. Um, how it works, like essentially, actually, what it really is? Let's just be honest here. What Nintendo's basically doing is they're turning over the concept of the Power Moon Hunt from the developers designing it to the players designing it. So you go talk to Luigi and his stylish new bow tie, and you either ta- you're either you either tasked with a set amount of time to go hide a balloon, 
or you're tasked with that same amount of time to go find a balloon that someone else hid for you. And it can be in any kingdom. You can get as creative as you want with hiding it. And much like real power moons, what I imagine is going to happen is a lot of people are going to find fun, weird ways to hide the balloons. You know, you might need to do a lot of crazy jumps to find them, or they might require perfectly timed moves in just the right spot. Or maybe it's just in a place you would not expect to find, like kind of go against typical Mario expectations or how the game's mechanics normally work. It's all at a distilled level very Mario Maker in that way. It's just scaled down to kind of the scope of Mario Odyssey's other online integrations, like the RC Car Race or the Jump Rope Challenge or whatever. Like, it kind of matches that, but it's this idea of, like, what crazy thing can someone assign you to do in a Mario world that may defy your expectation? Cool, they did it. Now go play it. Like, it, it, the parallel to Mario Maker to me is surprisingly strong. And as a freebie, I'm 100% on board with this. Like, it sounds cool. And it, it again, it's kind of like, one thing I really liked about Odyssey, and I talked about this a couple episodes ago when we talked about Game of the Year, it's how it's like this kind of cured the the example or the phrasing time uses like it's a curated garden or something like that hmm. i don't remember the exact wording and this is basically they're turning over the keys for curation to players and granted they don't have the same flexibility because they can't design the levels themselves but you can still have people do stuff that's interesting or different to try and get these balloons which again are essentially substitutes for power moons so yeah it, it seems cool to me even if poor luigi's getting screwed over and treated like some third rate I don't know. They're treating worse than Chibi Robo. Chibi Robo at least got set on fire in the peak of Nintendo Direct type. Luigi gets a bow tie, some balloons, and the most uncomfortable looking backpack you've ever seen, and you expect it to be totally okay. It's not Nintendo, it's not. But but anyway, yeah, that's that's what the balloon world thing is. It's completely free. Which I like. And it does not by any means rule out that we won't eventually get real DLC, like actual kingdoms or anything, or to your point earlier, Luigi could become playable down the line, who knows? I feel like what we may still get one day is some sort of Mario Sunshine thing. Like, I don't know if it's going to be a DLC kingdom here in Odyssey or it's going to be its own HD remake, but along with Balloon Mode, part of this free update coming next month is also new outfits for Mario. Like, there's a night outfit and some other stuff, and one of the outfits is a Hawaiian shirt with shine sprites on it. Then, jump over Mario Tennis Aces, P. Piranha, one of the biggest things shown in the trailer, and you know what his first game appearance was? Yeah. Mario Odyssey. Yeah, but Peter Piranha's been like an I know. Don't ruin this. Don't ruin this for me. Don't ruin this Mario for me. game since like, <laughs> I know. Ever. It, this, if if my Joy-Con, Toy-Con name der- uh, derivation con- conspiracy theory was like like a legit conspiracy theory, this is like the weird one out in the weeds. Like the jet fuel doesn't melt steel beams of the Mario universe. But no, seriously, like I, I think we're on to something with Sunshine. It, it, no coincidence. Shine Sprite shirt. P Piranha in the direct. They're signs, man. They're signs. I'm telling you, next we're going to see a uh, Pianta in some other Mario game that's not normally a place where a Pianta would be, and we're going to be like, boom, there's, there it is. Just you wait. So, much like we ended our Labo discussion with my conspiracy theory about the Joy-Con Toy-Con name, perhaps we should now end the Nintendo Direct with this conspiracy theory and discuss the last bit of news, which is on the 3DS. Unless you have any other thoughts on anything from the Direct. I guess not. I'm looking forward to Celeste. This last looks cool. It's out next week. That's pro- that's really the main reason I didn't bring it up is it's out by the time a lot of people listen to this. But yeah, that that was cool. And did you hear? Did you see that tweet from the developer where she's basically like, you know, I my first system was an NES. My first job was like lot check for Nintendo of America in two thousand seven. Now my first game ever on a console is on Nintendo. Like it's it's crazy, which is you know it's nice to Aww. see in DC though. Yeah, so good for her. That's awesome. But anyway, yeah, on 3DS. Yeah, a lot of indies definitely... Well, it, it makes sense. A lot of them grew up with Nintendo. Yeah. It's like, of course, you're going to be excited when you have a game, 
your game on a Nintendo console. Like I know Edmund McMillan had that same kind of tweet when I think um what was oh yeah when Binding of Isaac was on a Nintendo mm-hmm. when it had a retail release because that was the first Nintendo retail release he ever had. Yeah. So that was like oh that's really it cool. is really cool. I mean yeah it's 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 one of those milestones that it's just it it's hard to. You know, it's hard Nintendo, to find that like, After another AAA release, they're like, oh, man, our, like, 300th game. I'm so excited. Like, this is, like, special and everything. Or Wait, what? They... 300s? I don't know. How many AAA Nintendo? Oh, oh, you think Nintendo does that about their own games? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Well, Each one I of think, the special diamonds. I think special what it snowflake. is is as they migrate more and more away from Miyamoto and that generation and more towards the younger developers, you know, the Koizumis and whatnot of the world. I think, yeah, I think a lot of the younger developers are like, oh my god, this is like my first major Nintendo game. Like the Splatoon guys, those guys are young. And they definitely are like, whoa. I don't know how much Nintendo's like, cool, we made game 350 or 500 or whatever. <laughs> but I think the individual project, there are people at Nintendo who are just like the Celeste developer, but they're at Nintendo and they're having those exact same thoughts. And what's neat is Nintendo, apparently they don't always hire people that know games. They just hire people that know entertainment and know how to make computer things because they want fresh ideas and want new interesting things. It doesn't mean they're not gaming fans. It just means they're not necessarily going and being like, oh, you worked at EA? Sweet, work for us because that's not what creates – that's not the Nintendo mindset that leads to things like Labo or Splatoon or Animal Crossing or whatever. So, yeah, I'm sure there's people in Nintendo doing it. I don't think Nintendo as a whole is like, sweet, we hit game 600. But there's probably something for some of the milestones, like a cake. With a note from Princess Peach or something. I don't know. But yeah, 3DS. The final the final piece of the news puzzle that is this episode. Uh, the big story on 3DS is, of course, Detective Pikachu coming stateside. And it's bringing Amiibo along with it. The game is coming huge out. One. It's a huge Amiibo. It's like triple yeah, the size of a normal boy. Amiibo. It, yeah, seriously. It's, um, the game is slated to come out on March 23rd alongside the <clears throat> big boy Amiibo. And the game will be both physical and digital. Now, why do you got to say it like that? I mean, you said it like that, you weirdo. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's it's worth noting that the game is both physical and digital because in Japan, when it came out, it was only eShop. It was only digital, and it was only half a game. So now we're getting both halves at once, fully voiced in English, with Pikachu having a voice that's not quite Danny DeVito, but pretty much Danny DeVito. Like, it's like a little less... It sounds exactly how I expected. It's, it's how yeah. he should sound, I agree. Yeah, um, I'm happy with that voice choice, more so, more so than uh, the Ryan Reynolds one in the movie. Yeah. Unless Ryan Reynolds does a mean Danny DeVito, which I case mean, by all means, who's to say he won't try to make a voice? But then at true. that point, it's like why not? Well, just why not just get someone with the voice? Yeah. yeah. But so, so the game premise is that you are a boy named Tim Goodman, and you need help finding your missing father and a coffee-loving, take-no-attitude Danny DeVito, fully English-speaking Pikachu shows up and is just like, "Hey, I'm gonna help you find your dad," and you're like, "Sweet!" And then hijinks ensue. But gameplay gameplay-wise. I don't really know what it is. It kind of looks like you're solving puzzles while also watching these incredibly smoothly animated cutscenes. Like for 3DS, they look really good. And you're watching those while doing the puzzles. It kind of has like a... It's I don't really know, are you getting an Ace Attorney invest- Investigations vibe from it? Because that's what I'm getting. It's laden. It's basically Ace Attorney Investigations mixed with Layden. Ah, uh, okay. Could you get like... So it's Nintendo's take on, on Professor Layton, but... They already in America but, published Professor Layton. Yeah, but it's their own. It's it's still another unique take on it, right? And of course, it has you know Dan to be a Pikachu. So there's that very unique take. But uh, yeah, it's also it's also kind of encouraging to hear that Neither this was only name. in the UK press release. What? I don't know. Wait, what? <laughs> Nothing. What? 
Okay. Mm-hmm. I was going to say, it's encouraging to hear that in the UK press release, they said there's an easy mode with a hint-based easy mode. And the reason I say that's encouraging is because the one thing that I was worried about about Detective Pikachu is that the game's puzzles may be too easy. They may be aimed at young kids. But it sounds like there may still be some challenge here for older gamers, even if it does, you know, again, star Danny DeVito as Pikachu. So... I, that's reassuring because I thought like I was kind of like I watched this out but it felt in the same way Labo kind of feels like oh that's cool but I don't know how much mileage I get out of it I, I was worried Detective Pikachu might be in a similar boat and just like it's too easy but but beyond just the game Nintendo's going Pikachu crazy I mean there, there's that giant amiibo right mm-hmm. but it does seem that it, like it's part of some sort of broader unusual rollout for Detective Pikachu as like a brand like the game's been out in Japan since 2016 it was in an incomplete form but it was out now the full thing's being released, but only after the half game already got a movie deal, already got Ryan Reynolds as Pikachu, and already got a ton of attention. So now you have Nintendo playing... They just cast the guy from Godzilla in the third... Yeah, Ken Wan- Wanatabi, yeah. Yeah, yeah um, he's like got to play Wanatabi. another detective, yes. Oh. But I, I don't know how I knew that off the top of my head. I'm a little concerned about myself. But anyway, yeah, so they now... Just now. What? Just now. Just now. That was the tipping point, was me knowing Ken Wanatabi, or however you say it, or whatever his last name is. I think it's Wanatabi. But him being in Godzilla, or... Pikachu. But yeah, so you have this game that was getting all this attention off nothing, and now Nintendo's like playing catch up with their own game, releasing it here, throwing in the amiibo, establishing Pikachu, Detective Pikachu is like a real thing. I mean the, the amiibo actually is kinda interesting. It um it doesn't really do much, but it sort of can help you if you want to hundred percent the game. So basically what happens is you scan it and you get Pika prompts, which are cutscenes only for chapters you've already completed, but they're all the cutscenes. So as you go through a chapter, Pikachu will give you hints and advice and that sort of thing, and there'll be funny little dialogue. Some of them will point to hidden stuff, some won't. So if you miss them, you miss them, and that's it. But if you were to scan the amiibo, you basically get a backlog of all the ones you missed, and then you can go figure out what he's talking about and solve the additional hidden things. So like for people that want to complete the game, it's a cool way to do it, but it doesn't that's actually... annoying. You just have to really pay attention then? Well, I don't know what how much depth is required to not miss anything. It might be all pretty surface level, but they're basically creating this thing as a way for people who do somehow miss it to go back. What Pokemon was in the background of this cutscene? I mean, it could be <laughs> as simple as that. It could be... I think it's more like as you explore the world, there may be nooks and crannies you miss that have little extra things. Mm. I don't know. I mean, it, it, the fact that they make it... Again, it may be just to help the easy mode for the youngins, and for us, they'll be fine without it. But the fact that they're doing it in a way that's not like uh, plastic paywall is kind of nice. None of it's not accessible. It just makes it easier. So that, that's another clever riff on the idea of a super guide. Just have a toy do it for you. It's fine. But uh, yeah, so that that's Detective Pikachu. Uh, on top of that, we're also getting the previous Japanoid Pikachu-styled new 2DS XL. That comes out next week. Uh, it's not coming out with Detective Pikachu, which would make sense. It's instead coming out with Pokemon Crystal on 3DS eShop. So again, weird rollout for P- Detective Pikachu. It seems to be, I wouldn't say scrambling to get it out, but... Not quite the typical pattern of Nintendo releases. I I mean, honestly, that's partly why I thought Detective Pikachu wouldn't hit until the holidays. I said that last episode. But I guess doing it in March makes a certain amount of sense, because without it, Nintendo had literally nothing on 3DS. Well, almost nothing on 3DS. They confirmed my theory that A Link Between Worlds, Zelda, uh, will be re-released as a $20 Nintendo Select. It already has been, alongside Mario 3D Land and Ultimate NES Remix. But beyond that, 3DS is kind of a weird weird uh, barren wasteland. If I'm not mistaken, the only other first-party title we know of at all for 3DS this year is Sushi Striker, which, as you may recall, was that rapid-fire, like, sushi puzzle crazy thing 
Nintendo showed off at E3 last year on the last day, and it was penciled in for 2018, and we have not heard anything since. So it's coming, but all we have is Detective Pikachu and some sushi puzzles. That's your 3DS lineup this year. You mean like the Nintendo Switch chat thing that was supposed to come out this year? The what? They're... They're oh, it's, a, it, well, yeah. Which, which is now like 2019. No, that was incorrect. They fixed really? that. They made a typo in their press release and oh, they fixed okay. it to 2018 again. Yeah. Still though, I mean, that was supposed to come out last summer. I'd rather they, well, last fall and that got delayed. I'd rather they, the beta was summer, they, the fall was fall and then they pushed the fall back. Jeez. I'd much rather they take their time to get it right because I'm not. Or like redo yeah. it from the ground up. Or redo up. it from the ground up, which might be what it takes to get it right. Like I, I wouldn't be surprised if we hear more about that at their financial briefing in a couple weeks. But, um, but yeah, for 3DS, I don't know what's going on with that. Like, obviously, resources are shifting to Switch, and 3DS can, to some extent, coast on older releases. I mean, that's the whole evergreen budget strategy in a nutshell. But I feel like you need maybe more than just a game with Danny DeVito as Pikachu and a game where you stack some sushi on some plates. I, I don't... Maybe I'm wrong. That just seems like not much. I mean... It's getting a Shin Megami Tensei. That's true. That's true. I'm talking... That's 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 fair. I'm talking first party primarily, but you're right. Third parties will carry it. That's what happened with PS2 now that you mention it. That's what happened with DS. Nintendo can drop the support and let others pick up the mantle and then just coast on Evergreen. So you might be onto something there. I mean, Kimishima did... Nintendo's president, Sumi Kimishima, did say that they're not going to stop making or stop supporting 3DS in 2018 at all. So that would kind of line up with your, you know, third party thing, hundred um, percent. And yeah, I mean, maybe that's all. I, maybe that's all they need. I mean, if you look at last month, like I'm looking at the sales numbers here in December 2017. So you know, last month, Nintendo managed to sell 750,000 3DSs and 2DS systems. That's 27 percent higher than what they sold the December prior in 2016, and it's the highest number of 3DSs sold in a single month. Since December 2014. They sold more 3DSs last month when there was like nothing for it except a half sequel of Sun and Moon than they did in three years. Or in any one month of the past three years. That's just kind of crazy. And, and and to be clear, Sun and Moon, while they did okay, Pokemon Ultra Sun and Moon barely cracked NPD's overall top 20. So clearly if people are picking up these systems in mass at 750,000 units at their budget price, they're probably getting legacy releases along with it. So... Yeah, that, that explains the further push of Nintendo Selects, and I guess, you know, third parties can carry 3DS alongside Tech Pikachu and Sushi Striker, and maybe Nintendo's one or two more things. But yeah, we're definitely in the, like, the, the Twilight years, Twilight year of 3DS. I don't, I still think it'll be done by early 2019, so we'll see. I mean, in general, though, those 3D numbers from last month are part of a bigger achievement for Nintendo, and that is last month, they sold 2.6 million pieces of hardware. Up from an approximate, and this is my back of the ma- uh, back of the napkin wow. math here. Well, hold on. Wait till you wow to what I was compared to. A year ago, they sold 800,000 units in December. This wow. year, 2.6. That's over three times as much. Wow. It is worth a wow. Yeah, it's it's a huge difference. I mean, of course, Switch was the main driver. 1.5 million Switch units sold in December here in the U.S. 3DS, as previously mentioned, 750,000. And that means that the Super Nintendo Classic filled the remaining 350,000 units, which is actually about 130,000 ahead of how the NES Classic, which was much more supply-constrained, con- uh, how that did in December 2016. So, in all, what I'm saying is they had a very good December. MPD numbers actually show that Nintendo hardware made up... Let me see here. I have... Ah, yes. I wanted to make sure because this is crazy for me to... Over half of all December's video game console sales were made by Nintendo. Wow. 
Correct. <laughs> but yeah, and that means Switch and Nintendo as a whole very largely contribute to the fact that the industry has been up 10% year over year in December, generating revenue to the tune of $3.29 billion. Whoa. Yeah, I, I wish I had like – you could just be a soundboard at this point. <laughs> but yeah, Switch – um, I think – see? I think uh, – I think the big success story here, not to go too Jason Sales Corner on you guys in the final out minutes of our podcast, but Switch is the big success story for Nintendo, obviously. It's a story that we're starting to hear more and more frequently, but it just keeps becoming more apparent. Like GameStop pretty much outright said their holiday sales are up nearly 12%, thanks in large part to Switch. And then you look at the overall MPD top 10. You have Mario Odyssey at number 3. You have Mario Kart 8 Deluxe at number 5. You have Breath of the Wild at number 9. Look at the top 20, and oh look, there's Splatoon 2 at 14. And most impressively... Xenoblade Chronicles 2 actually managed to chart, came in number 16, which guarantees, uh, based on surrounding game sales that got leaked, that we're talking at least 200,000 copies of a niche tile like Xenoblade. It's finally making it, guys. Xenoblade's finally becoming a thing for Nintendo. So, yeah, point is, good month all around. 3DS is carrying its weight somehow, so whether you need Detective Pikachu or more, you're st- it's still selling. Nintendo's probably still happy, so. So that's kind of a look at where things are. That's kind of a look at the news. If you want even more numbers... You won't want to miss our next episode. Uh, Nintendo, I think I alluded to this before, but they're releasing their third quarter financials between this episode and our next one, which means we'll have all sorts of data, crunch, and news to share from that briefing come next episode. Normally what Kimishima does is he at least drops some hints of Nintendo's plans, but he's already starting to do that. He's been saying in interviews recently that they're going to expand their mobile offerings, uh, they're going to have third parties help fill genre voids that they don't have on Switch, like all these sort of things. It's kind of like, are you hear some interesting things? Is he going to talk about some new stuff at the financial briefing? They often do. So normally this is the part of the show where we then transition into what we've been playing. But we're already over two hours because there's so much news. So we're going to say that for next time along with the financial briefing. Yeah, I guess yeah. I'll have Celeste to talk about. Yeah, there'll be Celeste. I have um, and Max League. and the Curse of Brotherhood. We both have Rocket League. There's going to be stuff to talk about. We have like a whole backlog of things. Um because there's just like there's like a whole bunch of Switch games we're talking about that we've been playing, but when you have two straight hours of news, when do you put them in? So you know. So until then, what, what I'm, basically what I'm saying is, sit tight, everyone. We're in, you're in for a good episode on February 4th. Uh, you won't want to miss it because we have all the financial stuff, all the game impressions. It's actually on Super Bowl Sunday, so to make sure you don't miss it, because you're gonna be too busy eating nachos and watching someone beat someone to the with. Justin Timberlake at the halftime, I guess. But uh, until then, you can follow us individually for any gaming thoughts on Twitter. I am JSR7. I almost called you Wero. Angel is Wero. Wero is Angel. Angel is Wero at W-E-I-R-O underscore O. And uh, you can also, if it's much easier, just follow or subscribe to the podcast as a whole entity. Um, We're on iTunes. We're on Google Play. We're on Stitcher. We're on TuneIn. We're on literally wherever you look. And you can follow us on Twitter just at RamNintendo. So you'll get a nice little heads up when the new episode's live through any of that. Um, that pretty much does it. Angel, do you have any parting words? Bye. That's a solid parting word. Bye. <laughs>